And welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, thank Jason Gray. I always say thank you to the computer. <laughs> and uh, I'm here with uh, Lindsay Wilkins, uh, the busiest person in show business, really. Um, the uh, podcaster in charge of Schlock and Awe, and uh, an amazing guest. And I, again, I feel really honored that you are taking some time to be on my, uh, my little podcast here. Uh, to talk about Italian cinema, I'm calling this, and this is very much a small, small, small sample of Italian cinema, um, and it was kind of put together based on the the discs I had in front of me, um, and so we'll talk about that a little bit more, but after we came up with this idea, I started watching a bunch of other Italian movies that I don't have physical media for and thought... Okay, this is this is going to be a good show, but there's so many great films from Italy. It's a it's just a wonderful place, um, certainly throughout the 20th century, and I think it still continues to to uh, produce great films. And we've got a real range from movies in the 1950s uh, to movies from the 21st century that we'll be talking about. But uh, I'm really excited to talk about this with you. Uh, I think when we went through some ideas you had been mentioning an interest in Italian movies. And I just, again, want to plug Schlock and Awe. And I've, um, I've been listening. I intentionally did not listen to the, the episode where there's a, a movie that we're going to be reviewing uh, yet. I, I'm, I'm so, but I'm working through, you've been doing a Sergio Leone series that uh, I've been enjoying. And right now I'm listening to uh, the uh, Wrath of Khan <laughs> and Once Upon a Time in the West episode um which it looks like a like a big episode and uh and yes nearly the yes i it was like i don't remember i the star trek knowledge in that episode alone is just, it just blows my mind so so welcome to the show That's oh, that is all preston and rob but thank you yes thank you for having me no when you said when you said let's do italian cinema i was like yes please because Italian cinema is absolutely awesome and is incredible. And I am such a huge fan of it. And we have such, we're talking a such tiny piece, but kind of like a spectrum of what those incredible madmen have to, um, to offer. But no, but yeah, I'm just going through a Sergio Leone, speaking of Italian um, series. And yes, that, that Rathacon episode was insane. Um, Preston and Rob have so much knowledge on Star Trek. It's not even funny. They, um, that was the first time they'd actually talked and they were just huge Star Trek fans, just individually. And it was kind of nice to bring them together. I think we talked about more about Star Trek than we did actually once upon a time in the West. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm still on the Star Trek. Um, that's an insanely long episode, uh, but it was fun. Yeah. It sounds like you're having fun. <laughs> that doesn't surprise but... me. I think I just let those two just go off. Yeah. And I learned a lesson from that. As no, a great it was podcaster. a lot of fun. You're a great podcaster, and you stood back and you were like listening and letting that <laughs> conversation happen. And then you, and then we'd come in when there was a moment to <laughs> to come in and and offer uh, offer your opinion there too. But very also few this, moments. Um, I yeah yeah they yeah it was uh, yeah it was it's a really cool episode to listen to. But I'm I'm sure the whole series is great. Uh, but I listened also certainly to. The uh, uh, a fistful of dollars review too, which is we'll talk about it when we get to uh, uh, for a few dollars more. 
uh, about this Man With No Name trilogy. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about that as well as we have two other Westerns. So again, a heavy emphasis on the spaghetti Western, I, I suppose, in this episode. Uh, but then we, we have a Mario Bava, uh, very famous anthology horror classic, some would say. And then a, um, a kind of a biopic of a man I didn't know a whole lot about, who was Italian prime minister many times over. And uh, it's, to me, a little bit of a, almost a Goodfellas takeoff, El Divo. Um, we're looking at a Fellini classic, La Strada. And then I mentioned a few dollars more. Uh, the, the, the two uh, spaghetti Western movies we're going to be talking about is The Grand Duel. So we'll have two movies starring Lee Van Cleef, is a very interesting actor of uh, of that time. Um, and I always mispronounce it. You're going to probably have to correct me over and over again. But Kioma, Kioma starring Franco Nero. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Harry, so. Hero. Harry Franco Nero. I think we need to. Harry. That was. It's so seventies. It is so seventies. Um, and that I I, I kind of love. How much can the 60s and 70s? And we have, of course, the, the, the Fellini film from the 50s. Um, and uh, and then we, we jump many decades till uh, to El Divo, uh, which is kind of like the black sheep maybe in this this bunch of films, but it's because it's a little bit more contemporary than the other ones. It's kind of like uh, Shortcuts when we talked about Jack Lemmon uh, show that it was a little bit off the theme of the older comedies that we were looking at at the time there. So, yeah, but it also, it's going to put all the other films into a little bit of context. Yes. Cause the guy who I've already forgotten who it was, I'll have to look at my notes. He was in charge of Italy. Well, these and all the things that were happening in Italy was around the time that these movies, well, uh, especially the seventies, uh, mm -hmm. which was a very turbulent time in um, Italy. Uh, uh, which this guy who, um, anyway, this guy like to talk about corruption in, in, in Italy a lot because he's also done a movie on Ber Berlusconi, who was very also very corrupt. Um, still is, I think. I think he's still somewhere in yes. politics, but which is insane yes. to me. But um, actually, shouldn't be that insane to me. But yeah, it's kind that of a nice cool. context kind of filler a little bit. But once again, I'll just uh, uh, just before we start reviewing, I just want to thank you for being on the show, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, reviewing this and then we'll be doing the points at the end and one of these movies is going to be leaving my movie collection should be interesting oh, i'm not no. sure i'm not sure it's <laughs> that's as, gonna be a lot of pressure I, i'm not sure it's gonna be as obvious as with our jack lemon episode which one should go it so really we'll, isn't we'll we'll, hmm. we'll see there's a couple of these movies i really love uh there's others i like but i'm gonna have some criticisms of as we go along here so yeah. All right. Thank you for uh, being on the show, and let's uh, start the reviews. I saw who killed old man Saxon. A sheriff can't collect the body from the bandits he kills. kill for money.
Saxon City, Clayton. I'm after a man. Dead? You move that, I'll get some target practice. That's only good for making noise. Just a moment, Marshal. This man was only defending himself. You shouldn't be wearing this anymore. Easy's taking candy from a baby. You think I'd still be alive if I liked to fool around with kids who like to play with guns? Oh, John's blood! Five bucks, it won't wash out! Remove your rope! That man is innocent! No witnesses, not even friends. Sorry, Mr. Jackson. I want to apologize. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> of my father. You know why? Because dead people don't need a leader! So we're going to start off with uh, the Grand Duel, uh, I believe, from 1972. And uh, it's essentially about a former sheriff who is trying to help this fugitive kind of a, a escape his fate and, and take on uh, these, uh, these, this gang that is trying to, uh, to kill him. I've watched this movie twice, and I guess... The, this is actually going to be my note for a couple of the movies we're talking about. We're talking about a few spaghetti westerns, and they tend to have the same plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, yeah, what did you think of the Grand Duel? Yeah, I, it's just forgettable. That's the only thing is I, I've watched it twice, and I, I really had to go back and look <laughs> and remember what this movie is about. It's you know, it, it has that kind of revenge type of energy to it. Um, the thing that like kind of gives this one a little bit of an edge for me, I think, uh, is Lee Van Cleef and those eyes and that stare that he was so famous for. Um, and I, I think it's a, he's yep, a real, yep. yeah, he's a, he's a real asset to the film. I mean, he's not a guy who disappears into any role that he's in. He is a character actor. He is himself, but I enjoy that character and I enjoy how he portrays it. And again, it's, looking looking older here uh there's a lot of creativity in this film directed by uh, sergio bardotti bardotti here i start to mispronounce the italian names yes. that's going to be like i have a swear jar for this episode when i do that but i uh, know that's um, this this is this is going to be me um all the time but he was uh leone's uh dp oh not dp um ad i want to say yeah yeah i think it was and and he yeah he worked on the man with no name 
trilogy, as I understand it, and kind of was mentored by by him. Some of the touches that I like are in kind of yes, did, different yeah. set, set pieces. Um, there's a sign kind of early in the film. This is silver bell, but there is no silver or bell. I don't know why I find that charming. Somehow I find that charming. Um, and uh, there's a whiskey checkers game that's going on at one point. And it's a lot of style and a lot of the atmosphere. Um, and a lot of those pieces uh, work well for me. And the music score is, is terrific in some places. But what I don't understand is at points, there's kind of this other strange, at least in the version I was watching, there's this kind of Beverly Hillbillies type of score that creeps in in certain moments that kind of... Benny Hill, I whatever yeah, it takes me out of the movie for, for a little bit. So I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit mixed on the music. And to me, the, the music, the cinematography, the set de uh, decoration, art direction, and uh, it, just the atmosphere is what makes those spaghetti westerns fun. And I think rewatchable. But I find that ha what, a couple things that happen to me with them is I find the stories kind of forgettable and the dubbing at points i don't think this one was too too bad but the dubbing because everybody was speaking different languages and it was all done in post-production into many different languages uh, i i find even in the classics um that leone did I, there's points where i find it a little bit distracting and frustrating and takes me out of, of the movie i I, yeah. I get that um with italian cinema particularly between the 50s and the 80s you have to put up with the dubbing. I find it charming. That's so I don't really notice it anymore because I do love Italian cinema. Um, and though we're not doing a giallo, well, you can argue Black Sabbath is going to have a tiny little bit of giallo in there. One, um, yeah. It's not, it's all the, yeah, spaghetti westerns, uh, plots tend to run in with one another. And when I watched, this I was on a massive Van, uh, Lee Van Cleef high of, hmm. obviously I was doing a Leone series so yes. I had to remind myself okay which Van Cleef is this is it the revenge one? Oh crap they're all revenge they always pair him up with a young sidekick yes. um and <laughs> yeah but he's phenomenal this one's got it's a weird movie like one minute you'll be in Benny Hill with people being chasing around a mountain and the music's kind of really weird and then the next minute you'll see this John Ford Leone-esque framing. Um, it's really fun. It's got a lot. I think this is the one that has a lot of explosions. This is the one I remember yes. the least. Um, but if you love, yes. say, if you if you know anything about Jalo, the plot doesn't matter. And I don't think the plot necessarily matters in two of the spaghetti westerns we're going to talk about. Yes. One very much so yeah. because we are we're going to be dealing with an Italian master. But the other two plot is not the point it's more the guy fact that the bad guys are wearing white suits so when you get a bloody hand stain it looks cool you get a black and white sequence it's all about them throwing things at the wall i think the guy who was meant to direct this um was also meant to direct duck you sucker but because of the cast that they had on it that uh, leone ended up directing that one mm -hmm. um but no I, I do enjoy this movie i i can't can't say that I don't. I can't remember all the details of it quite well, which is a thing with Italian movies. No. Um, especially when you get into like the real, you really dig deep into Speedy Westerns or Jalo. You're like, okay, what happened in this one? Oh, I, I don't care, but I do remember sequences, and I definitely remember sequences from from this movie, and they are pretty freaking cool. Like the the set piece at the very beginning, 
uh, and that escape and all that, that, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, like I, I love watching Van Cleef shoot a gun. Like he is, he is one of the fastest draws around of all, of all the Western stars. He makes it look so good. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that black and white sequence, that flashback sequence. Um, that was so well, well filmed. And I, I, I like the look That's of my it. Favorite yeah. part of the movie. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I'm, I'm a really, uh, because when I became a more serious film fan, I was a fan of uh, Oliver Stone, who, when he was working with Robert Richardson, would use a lot of uh, color photography mixed in with black and white photography quite effectively. So I seem to be a, a bit of a sucker for that in any movie that I see where they'll, 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 they'll mix the two together. And, um, and I, I just, I just love that look. It, uh, and, and that was, that sequence was, was a memorable part of, of the film. It, it's, it's funny with the grand duel, like it's tough. I feel like the review's a little bit thin in this, in the sense that there isn't much to talk about other than if you enjoy this style of, of cinema, then I think you're going to really enjoy this. And if you like, Van Cleef as an actor, which I do, um, I think I probably, it may have been um, uh, the other movie we're going to review uh, for a few dollars more. It might have been the first movie I saw him in, because I, I believe I saw that before The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, um, of course. But then there's all of these other Westerns he did that I I haven't, and I still have to discover, uh, but that I've... Uh, I've, I've found over the years, and I, I really, really enjoy those. Yeah, Lee Van Cleef, yeah, if you enjoy Spaghetti Westerns, you are really going to enjoy this, but you will yes. notice that it's messy as all hell, which a lot of, because um, I watched like five Lee Van Cleefs very, very close to get this. Was one of, also, one of them was Day of Anger and Death Rides a Horse. Now, I'm pretty sure it's Death Rides a Horse. That is amazing. Like, it's very similar to this movie. He has a young sidekick. Um, yes. He's got to do some revenge. He's a badass from you know thing but um it was when we get into it it was for a few dollars more that restarted his career in, in films so he just hung around spaghetti western shoots and they'd go lee come over here we need you so um he worked a lot in italy after this point and there are so many westerns that he is in so it, you're never going to run out of lee van cleef spaghetti westerns the guy worked i mean he was a working actor right up until the end there and when again we when we get into for a few dollars more, really his career was done. And uh in in movies, he was doing some TV, but it wasn't sorry, I did some research when I was doing Leone. He he was, yeah, he was winding down his career at this point. He was getting yeah. but I mean he is kind of um I think you mentioned it before, like Rick Dalton. This is he was kind of Rick Dalton and he got the yeah. off chance to go to Italy and then it just swept up again. Yes, and I think a lot of the, the, the trivia connected to this suggested that he had quite a drinking problem that was interfering with his career as well, which I don't, you've probably read the novelization of Once Upon a Time. In oh, Hulk, yeah. And there's this bit which isn't connected to the movie at, at all, where they talk about this uh, Brad Pitt's character uh, sneaking drinks to this actor who is, you know, can't help himself. So, and and everybody's under the strict policy that they can't get him a drink uh, because it's going to completely ruin the film or whatever. Which uh, anyway, I I just wondered if that was a little bit of in, about 
Van Cleef, but it could it could be in any number of actors that that's referring to. So there's a lot of actors that could be referring to. It could honestly be Lee Van Cleef because he did have a very serious drug uh, drink issue. Same with Lee Marvin had a very serious drink issue. I think he was a little better at kind of hiding it on set. Um, no, there's a whole host of those actors who, yeah, unfortunately, drank hard and and had some real real serious problems. But anyway, I I my thumb is up on it. I. Yeah, I, I guess some of my criticisms are really just every once in a while. This one wasn't too bad, actually. The the dubbing didn't bother me too much. But sometimes that's just all that could be the case for any any one of the three that we're talking about, as well as some other... Uh, oh, I was going to say, I think there's only one film in here that isn't dubbed. So it just depends on yeah. who's dubbing and how good it is. Yes, yes, absolutely. And sometimes I think it's just the, the performances... The, the different styles of acting meshing together uh it, like all of these movies in some ways have no business working and and break all the rules yet somehow they do even if you have somebody who's a little bit too big for cinema and then the voice dub actor is playing it up a little bit too cartoonish as well but that keeps people awake awake and uh and, and i think they enjoy that aspect of things even though it um if you're a looking at a very, for a very polished film, that might be something that would get in the way of some people's enjoyment, but uh, but not mine in this case. Love the dubbing, make it weirder. Do you believe in ghosts? This is the night when fear and horror walk hand in hand. This is Black Sabbath. Starring the incomparable Boris Karloff, the personable Mark Damon, and lush and lovely women. Even though one is from the netherworld, a vampire, a burdelac. Black Sabbath, as ancient a superstition, as modern as the telephone. How nice you look with that towel around you. You always did have a beautiful body. Black Sabbath, the bare truth about the unbelievable, such as the brilliant beauty of a priceless jewel that holds within the body of a buzzing fly, a vengeful woman's murderous spirit. Only on the seventh night of the seventh full moon can the living see the lifeless undead. I am hungry. Is he man? Or vampire? An adventure into black magic that goes beyond the boundaries of the supernatural. Man's devoted love is welcomed by a woman's deadly lust for his blood.
Mario Bava, I haven't watched all of his stuff, but I mean, he's one of the most important filmmakers in, in the history of, of horror. And yep. Black Sabbath um, on my disc, right at the top, as big as you can, as you can, Boris Karloff, very much in the end of his career, uh, is kind of the, the the through line of this horror anthology. He is. He is. Um, yeah. Yeah, I am a Baba girl. I adore Baba. He is one of my one of my guys. Yeah. Um. He is is his movie movies look absolutely beautiful. He was a cinematographer. I think he defined a lot of um, genre movies in in Italy, especially the horror ones. Um. There are a few non horror ones. I don't think I've seen those. The bulk of Baba I've seen, uh, are, are definitely more horror or more kind of thriller. But no, I, I mean, this isn't my favorite Baba, but mm -hmm. it's, yeah, curious, because this is a, yeah, this is Boris Karloff. He was very on the edge of death. I think this in Targets is some of his last, um, last uh, 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 jobs. Um, and it, because of it, it is an anthology, it, it's, it's going to be a bit, anthologies by nature are a little bit wonky because you're going to enjoy some segments more than others. That's just the nature of, 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 of the beast. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I could never get, I don't, I love Baba. He's just so good. He's yeah. He defines so much. I, I feel like two of the three work well. Um, yeah. there's potential for, for one of them. I just kept most of my reviews were, or most of my uh, notes were quite, quite sarcastic about the stupid choices that some of the characters made in one of the you're shows. You talk about number one and number two, because number three is generally the favorite out of this um, uh, thing. The old lady is considered a horror um, horror staple of just creepy old ladies. Yeah, um, yeah so but what was your favorite uh, uh, segment in, in this? Yeah, so I mean, going through the segments, I'll, I'll just introduce them briefly here. Uh, the first one is called the telephone. Um, and it's this woman who arrives home and she keeps getting these creepy phone calls. And that, that's the one I think is the 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 jello of. Yes, of, and I said there's a small jello, this is it, yes. This is a small sample of jello. Uh, the uh, word of luck, which is um, basically about a guy who steals a knife or steals a, yeah, takes a knife away from this decapitated body and then goes and visits this creepy house. And then the, uh, uh, see the father or grandfather uh, comes home and is acting very, very strange, played by Karloff. Boris Karloff, yep. Yeah. And, uh, and then the last one is the drop of water that you were mentioning here um, about a, a woman who comes in and uh, she kind of cleans up and after somebody has died. But this is another one where somebody makes the decision to uh, steal something from the body. And then it comes back to haunt her. And that one uh, feels very psychological to me. Um, I can understand why the third one would be the favorite. But for me, uh, the telephone was actually my favorite. Uh, oh, it, yeah. It got I... me in early. And I, I was like, this is a relatable horror. I mean, this this would be something that as somebody who who lives alone, I mean, if, if this was happening, I would be just right creeped out. 
Um, and, uh, and there's some twists and turns. I, I think it, I, I was able to predict what was going to happen and who ultimately uh, was behind these phone calls sooner than than uh, Baba probably wanted me to. But again, probably if I'm watching this in the 1960s, I would be shocked by it. And I wouldn't have watched as another 50 years of cinema, 60 years of cinema since this came out where uh, this became um a bit of a trope and I could, I could kind of figure things out, but I, I, I just enjoyed how, how that was set. And it was good, even though I, I didn't like, and I'm glad that they, at least in the version I have, I know there's two versions of it out there. The version I have, I don't know if it's the North American one or what. Um, they really cut back on the Boris Karloff as himself introducing the, the segments. I have it at the beginning and I, I have it at the end. I don't think it works at the beginning, but thankfully it's, you know, we don't have, it isn't like the Crypt Keeper coming in between each segment and doing a bit and the bit at the end, which kind of, uh, because I, I agree then when, when we're, we're taking a look at the drop of water, that just leaves you fe feeling really uncomfortable. But then we have this strange and it feels like almost comedic bit with Karloff and, filmmakers you know breaking the fourth wall and showing us how how they were doing some of the effects and all that 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 those bookends didn't work for me but oh, the, okay. the stories themselves like it got got me in and i was willing to put up with the middle segment which uh um is my least favorite and i mean everything should work with that uh and that's the one that features karloff the most I, 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 first of all, I don't understand how stupid this guy is to get in the situations he's in and he can escape, but he goes back to the house. And I don't know why anybody just takes Boris Karloff at his word that, oh no, he's not a, he's not a word of luck at all. He's just, a, you know, you're just the family member that he's always been. He's just kind of had a hard night or something like that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I just think this, the second one, looks good but it feels like a bit of a mess but the first and third are solid horror and really serious horror like it's not not really winking at us too much so what were you what do you how do you feel about uh the three stories i like all the three stories actually um i like telephone because i think it's such a good aha punchline which which is kind of what you need actually the bookend the two one of the beginning one of the end drop of water both have a really good aha moment which is what i love in an anthology it's got like a punchline to it and uh, uh telephone's really good like i love how it moves i love the fact that it is a, a trope that just keeps coming back in 70s horror like this was made in 1963 and yet it's all about getting the creepy phone calls um the one with caroline king um something about a stranger where she's like have you checked the children upstairs or yeah. even Black Christmas uh, with those phone calls. It's that very haunting kind of thing. And this was, and he was already, they were already playing around with it in Italy in, in 1963. They and jumped a scream years later. I mean, with the phone. Exactly. That, that's yeah. And up through the movie. So, I mean, here we are 60 years later and Baba should be credited for, for having this in, in, in this film. 
and he's, he should be credited for a lot of things yes. uh, but that is that is definitely one of them and i think it's really really just a fun you got the black glove which has always been credited to argento but no he had the black glove in this um i think he has the um and he's it, it does a does a lot i on this watch i will say that usually i feel a bit i feel the same about um the water look i'm butchering that it's russian which makes it even worse i can't even pronounce italian let alone trying to do russian um but that this one kind of played for me i think i just got lost in the set uh the set design because that set design especially when that that rundown church and i love how there's just skeletons everywhere and yes why you would take boris karloff at his word i i don't know in any movie that never ends well you do not take ever take boris karloff's word in any movie that you watch yeah. ever that's just a rule but i love the gothic sensibility of it all i love the eastern european monster kind of creature gothic um it reminds me a lot of say a russian movie from 1960 something called vi vi um which is um another really interesting one yeah baba did it felt really lush it reminded me a lot of which is much more contemporary for the time but the roger corman um poe the, the poe um the corman poe cycles that really lush kind of gothic everyone's wearing bright colors and yet there's sort of darkness everywhere um so that it played a lot better for me than it usually does because you're usually waiting to get it's the longest segment and you're usually waiting to get through it to get to telephone uh to drop a water which um that face <laughs> the old woman is amazing um i love how messy that nurse is how she sees the ring and just like oh i'm taking that off this dead body and how that camera does not move away from that face it is incredible like um it doesn't even try and put it in shadows like there it is you're like oh god um there's a reason why there are that image of just like focusing in on the face is so around the horror kind of thing because it's um you know it's kind of made out of plastic but it doesn't matter so much it's yeah, no, I, I generally, I the, the wraparounds work for me. I think they're cute mainly because it's Boris. I don't mind that so much. It just reminds me, as you said, the Crypt Keeper and all those kind of late night horror hosts. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't necessarily mind that. Uh, no, I've as I said, this isn't even my favorite barber and I kind of adore it still. So. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. this is more of a, a Jason problem than anything else. I mean, yeah. I reviewed... Um, body bags the john carpenter anthology yes. for yeah. showtime. and i didn't really care for those segments with carpenter you know as oh, that they're amazing <laughs> well, people love people love them yeah, yeah. Know, i don't mind the crypt keeper actually which is it's funny and but mm. but still it's another thing i i don't need like after i've watched the end of demon knight or bordello of blood then he comes back in and does one last zinger before we're, the movie's done i i don't always need that necessarily mm. uh, this wasn't you know this wasn't bad but i i still i'm not not quite sure why they decided to show you know the effects from like uh the horse and all that was was he just trying to do kind of a a brechtian thing there with the uh, with the film I or think it was I think it was just to really show that everything you've watched is just a story. Uh, because I think a lot of that stuff in 1963 would have been kind of really creepy and terrifying, especially after you're left with the drop of water. Like yes. those, that image still kind of, it's like Zelda from Pet Symmetry. You just like, ugh, 
mm -hmm. um, that face does stay with you. So I think sort of have, I think it's just a, oh, this isn't real. This is just pretend. Um, what you've seen tonight is just pretend. And yes, we watch it now, God, how much? Well, God, not 70 years later, Jesus. Um, later, and we find it kind of campy and charming more than scary. But when you watch those kind of horror movies at the time, they tend to be more terrifying. Um, so I think it's just to sort of say it is um, in that William Castle tradition, it is in that kind of campy late night horror tradition of if this is not real and we haven't got to say something like Wes Craven's Last House on the Left, when the tagline is just remember, it's just a movie, it's just a movie. It's not meant to be that intense. It's more meant to be kind of fun. Um, and yeah, and he's playing with three different kinds of gothic kind of genre all the way through. So that's what I saw it as. I saw it as, oh yeah, because this is meant to be on TV, even though it wasn't. Um, yeah. It's all fake, it's all pretend. It's it's just storytelling. Yeah, I, I feel like what you, you described, this is the influence of the 1950s onto this film, which is much scarier than, well, I mean, it's arguably scarier than that decade of where it was a little bit more of the creature features or, you know, um, uh, the the drive-in fair type of thing. Uh, yes. Yet this was a, a this film pioneered so many different things for horror in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and beyond. Um, so it's kind of like that in between where it's catering to one audience, which is used to one thing with horror, but trying to move things forward so that they are, you know, we can get into scarier movies. Uh, 10 years from now, uh, the time that this movie is is released here. So I, Absolutely. I think ultimately with this one, um, like the Grand Duel, my thumb is up. I like two of the three segments. I'm happy that you like all three of them. And I I think when I revisit it, revisit this film, and I will revisit it as long as it isn't the bottom of the, the list ball, I'll maybe revisit it somehow. Oh, this is going to be tough. They're all my children. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, away um no it is i yeah I, i'll give that i'll give the middle one another another day in court because as you said you you kind of went in recognizing that this is kind of like the viewed as the weaker one but then you could just sit back relax and enjoy it and on any given day and i i mean i watched this at night and i you know as tried to create as creepy an atmosphere as possible so most of it worked really well for me but it was just that that one and just a couple mini things here. But I would never steer people away from Black Sabbath. Yeah. Also, I will say that because I have watched quite a bit of Italian cinema, plot doesn't really necessarily matter to me in terms of this movie's from a very from the sixties to the seventies. I don't really care about plot, especially with Italian movie, because I've learned you don't need to worry about it. They weren't particularly interested. I mean, it's just the way that these films were shown in Italy. Um, not many people had televisions and going to the theater was a social event. So you didn't necessarily have people concentrating on the screen 24-7. They were talking to their friends. So if you had something, so if they would look at the screen for a moment, it would be just that instant, oh, this is what I'm looking at. And watching it in that context and knowing that um makes a whole lot more sense and you can kind of see see the progress of when tv comes into italy a bit more because their films become a lot more functional sorry anthony king if you're listening uh, i know you hate the word but um yeah i heard that whole yeah. conversation about functional 
I thought, but how many um, times do we use that word? And yeah, I use word. it. I like to use it. Think of. I like to think I use it in the correct way. I probably don't. I probably have lost used it so much it's lost all meaning. But I think but the, the movies. Yeah, as we'll get into with El Devo, I think that compared to everything else is a much more functional movie than say Black Sabbath or um, The Grand Duel is. Was there anything else you wanted to say about Black Sabbath? No, Black Sabbath's awesome. Awesome. And if, if you, yeah, and then go see uh, Black Black Sunday, his Black Sunday, which is a full feature length with uh, Robert Steele. It's so good. I, 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 I like Black Sunday. I think ultimately I like Black Sunday more than Black Sabbath. Um, Me too. But, uh, but still, I mean, they're, they're, they're still something so for much everybody in this. You know, if you yeah. are a fan of, of these types of movies. And I think this is one for those who don't don't really want the exploitation that happened a little bit later with um, with the horror movies. Because this isn't a very sexual movie, I guess. I mean, there's, no. there's some suggestions of things, but it's not as overt as... Uh, the movies of maybe five years after after this one that uh, that that we get um, yeah really with the Jalo cinema um, oh yeah yeah it's definitely not as exploitive I love the exploitive stuff but well, I, <laughs> it's not um it's definitely too. not it not there yet yeah I do as well but yeah but uh, some people that will put them off and then they're like oh this is I won't watch this and then they become a little bit more critical of the things that aren't as uh, we aren't as used to, I guess, as far as those who enjoy contemporary superhero movies. Yes. Come on in. You've been gone quite a while this time. Where you been? Fighting a war. Meet anybody faster than you? Not yet. Ben and Charlie not even turning around. Ain't no man can hit a target without looking at it. There are two men who can't. Our paw is one and the other is... This land belongs to Mr. Caldwell, along with everything that's on it. You had to pay for the water, and now you gotta pay for the medicine. <laughs> I'll pay this time. How much are you willing to pay? Four cents. The price of four bullets. One, two, three, and four. Why are you helping us? When you've been away so long, your memories won't let you forget the debts that have to be paid. Don't try to help us. We're already dead. But you're still afraid. Death hasn't changed that. Myself, maybe. Why'd you come back? The world keeps going around and around. 
So you always end up in the same place. Kayoma, you can't do it alone. I have to do it alone. Because I am alone. Aren't you tired of killing? I have to survive! This will be me kind of repeating myself a little bit. There are a few details of Kioma, uh, which is a very interesting uh, Western, in, in my opinion. Um, but some things that aren't as memorable with this one, yet I could argue that this is way more memorable than uh, the Grand Duel, in a sense, because of some of the... Uh, more overt directions like again we're a little bit you know we're we're very much in the uh, 70s this is this is uh an independent this isn't considered one of like a as much of the a-list um italian westerns but it, it features franco nero who's an he's an interesting figure i i again in this journey of watching some uh a few more Westerns. I saw Django. Finally, I saw Django. Because I'm. Oh my God, Django! I love Django. I love the, so I love much. the music, and you know, as you watch some more of these movies, like you kind of really recognize. Holy Kelly, Tarantino is almost outright ripping off. At least he has the title Django in uh, in in this one. Um, oh, Frank Nero shows up in Django, so that is um. Yeah. That is yeah. Yeah. And, you should if you want to see. Quentin Tarantino rip off something, watch Good, the Bad, the Ugly, and Lady Snowblood. And you're like, oh, this is where his whole entire career came from. Yes, I, I find that in you know, the Shaw Brothers movies, of course. I mean, they, you know, that's yes. a whole separate conversation about Mr. Tarantino. Um, but he he takes all of that cinema knowledge, puts it forward for a new generation to discover. And those who are willing, like I am, to go back and find some of these movies, we can enjoy them in a whole other way than, than, than Tarantino's films. Um, but Nero plays uh, Kioma. He looks full on like Jesus Christ. And in fact- oh, this has, this is a massive Jesus Christ metaphor. This is, Except for that final line, which I'm still going, what? But yeah. <laughs> um, this movie made me go, out. what? Quite a bit. <laughs> I, I was following along with the, the, the Jesus story until we get, yeah, really towards the end there um and spoilers there is uh 
uh, a crucifixion scene as well uh, in there for, for your enjoyment. Um, but he, uh, he's very good in this type of role. He's essentially in, um, they use very politically incorrect terms to describe him here, but he is half indigenous, um, half Caucasian. And uh, there's a, a, he has three half brothers who are um, very racist folks uh, to him and were horrible to him as a child, as we see in flashbacks. Um, and then he, he essentially saves this woman um, from uh, who initially I was uh, my, again, my guard was up that, okay, is she just going to be a victim in this film? But this uh, saves a woman from being raped. And then, uh, and also the fact that her, she has a child and, and oh, she's and, very pregnant. That's the, she's, the sorry, she's pregnant yeah. at the time and, and is being attacked and uh, saves her and, is protecting her, but putting himself in a lot of danger in many different ways because goes back home where there there's essentially a a plague um, happening, and there are people who want to just completely destroy and kill everybody uh, in the town if they don't do what what they want and are trying to essentially is a bit of a land grab uh, plot in here too. But this one very much has that kind of revenge western quality to it uh it's a little bit i, I would suggest more violent than the other westerns that we're talking about very uh, much so it it has some some things that i like there's a, some things that are very 1970s that take me again completely out of the film there's this uh, the, the the music this song that comes in and tells us What's happening? Oh my god! Like Sorry. Some, like bizarre Greek chorus or something like that, without the style of Greek chorus. And I just like, and unfortunately, like her voice was starting to grate on me a little bit. Um, and I mean, it goes along with the style of these films that we would see in Tarantino and his westerns. And you have. mentioned Django. Everyone yeah. had their own kind of theme song, and Django's song is incredible. This music sounds like someone described Leonard Cohen and a Bob Dylan to someone without actually playing them the music and you get this bizarre <laughs> score this bizarre like there's two songs that come up constantly and yeah. it's wild I was watching this with my dad which I now I have to apologize because he was just like what did you just show me and I'm like I'm sorry I didn't know that was weird um I thought it was just going to be like um, Grand Duel. I didn't realize I was going to we were going to go into a freaking batshit crazy um, western. Um, <laughs> I oh, oh my god, Kiyama. Um, I mean, I just want to point out the director of this is Enzo um, G. Castorelli. Uh, speaking of Tarantino, this is a big Tarantino. He it, he's uh, this is one of Tarantino's boys. He mm -hmm. directed the original uh, *Inglorious Bastards*, which has nothing to do with Quentin Tarantino's remake. He just likes this director. Um, he also is a really prolific, uh, I would say, more exploitation director. He directed a whole bunch of the dystopian Italian movies, like the Bro in the 1999 of the Bronx or kind of whatever those movies, or 2000 something in the Bronx. Um, he did a lot of. He's very much more of an exploitation 
direct it, you can tell in this. Um, though I think this movie is batshit crazy. I also it think this has is. some insanely cool moments, mainly because Franco Nero is an incredibly cool director. Even if you've seen the new movie, um, The uh, Pope's Exorcist, which Franco Nero plays the Pope, which is insanely fitting. And even he's the coolest Pope on the planet. Um, it's, yeah, I was just like, of course he's the Pope. This this is the movie I'm in and I'm happy. Um, play Jesus, but, so why not be the Pope, you know? <laughs> exactly. And he has played Jesus more than once. A metaphorical mm-hmm. Jesus more than once. If you've ever seen The Visitor, Visitor from 1979, he plays a space Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he does. It's yes, amazing. You do. Um, yes, you do. Also, that movie is okay. That movie was filmed in the States, but that movie is so Italian. It hurts. Um, it also has one of the most insane casts. You're just like, how this okay? He he worked for I think Fellini, and he so he knew all the good people. Um, no, Kinema is a wild movie. I think I appreciate it a little bit more than um, The Grand Duel, only because this one is swinging for the fence. Yeah. It's got so many balls in the air. It's not just, yes, it is a revenge movie, but you have this weird plague that never really gets described. But no one's letting the owner of the town who owns the land on the town, therefore the people, which is very spaghetti western, yeah. won't let medicine in, in or out. Yeah. So he is, he's, yeah, I don't know why he's doing what he's doing. It's never really explained whether it's just pure greed or whether it's just, he just wants to cause, he wants to slowly kill other people in the town so he can sell. I, it's never explained. You don't need to know it. You just need to know he's an asshole. Yeah. Um, I, he's basically yeah. a two dimensional, or maybe even you could argue one dimensional villain. This is really one dimensional. Yeah. This is who we're supposed to hate. We know. And you do. You know immediately who you're not supposed to, like, you. this is not who I'm supposed to be cheering for five seconds into one of these performances. Um, oh, it's. But, I love exploitation. Yeah, I, you know you hate the bad guy. You loathe them because they are the worst, and that is a pure exploitation thing. But I, I love the details and how, like, the plan to sneak the medicine in and to help people, and how elaborate that is, and how they they trick everybody. And there's the real suspense and danger along the way. Um, the the other, I I think for me, Woody Strode is another secret ingredient here. He's He's just one of those faces that you that you see in there. Uh, welcome presence. He's kind of like the, for lack of a better term, the town drunk. Uh, and again, there's the kind of the backstory with him and Kioma. But he is he is somebody that okay is having a rough time of it. Um, but we immediately cheer for, and we know he's one of one of the good ones. And um, Yes, the warning. You think some word, bad words are said about um, the yes. uh, Native American character? Yes. Wait till you get to Woody Stroke. Mm, that that yeah. is, I was like, stop saying that to Woody Stroke. No. Stop it. it. And it was, ne- I don't think he was ever in the same scene when the word was said, but there is a, um, I think it looked like he didn't have to be there, which like, thank, thank you. That's, that's nice of you. But that word, there's a certain word that gets flung around a yeah. lot. Um, yeah. And it's harsh because you like Woody Stroke and you don't want people calling him that. No. And yet, of course, that word is used a lot in Tarantino's work. So, I mean, you know. Not as much as this movie, but I think this is no, the movie, this is, kind of movie he watched when he thought, oh, I can get away with this. No, 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 Tarantino, you cannot. <laughs> this is such a, yeah, I I mean, it's, um, I, I feel like in some ways the intention behind this film is is anti-racist. Oh, it's, but It's very anti-racist. Um, it's just. But 
the the fact that it's there and it just you know it you just wince in the fact that you know this great actor has to endure that but it's not the only up with that shit yeah especially when even franco nero calls him that word it's it's yeah. hard to and he's also the one who's meant to be like you were the one who taught me that the color of a man's skin does not matter and yet you have called him that word um and it was it, it, it's 1970s europe um but no i think that was kind of the thing that just kept pulling me out of the movie and i did actually enjoy this movie i think the action sequences are amazing especially yeah, that absolutely. fight out shootout when it, uh kioma on franco nero is in the tower i mean though i want to point out they gave that kid the same mullet when they're in the flashbacks for kioma which i think is just like thank you um that is amazing that Oh my god, those wigs. The wigs in this movie are. <laughs> um, but that shootout in the, when he's in the tower is amazing. And it is so cool to watch. And it, yeah, the action sequences, especially because they take up a bulk of the second half of the movie, are really amazing. I, I feel like it's one I want want to revisit again. And I it it's maybe not my favorite of the three westerns we're talking about. Yeah. Well, no, it's because yeah, a, few, yeah, a few dollar more is <laughs> we're talking about a few dollars more. <laughs> it's, but it, in its way, it's maybe the most original. Yes, you know, I will say really that. It really does make yes. its mark. It's not, you You haven't seen this type of Western. I don't think I've seen this type of Western. This no. is such an unusual Western no. it's because an of, thing. yeah, because of the old Jesus metaphor and the religious aspects and kind of this um, weird spirituality. There's a witch that just hangs around um, kind of prophesizing certain things. It's very Shakespearean, as it's the three brothers um, that he's also got to fight, as well as that other guy. You've also got these three dickheads who are all brothers that you need to that he needs to deal with, and um, sins of the father coming onto the son, and all this these very big grand themes, which a lot of the time the spaghetti westerns didn't have. I mean, yes, Leone would bring them in eventually, but um. So yeah, we'd have brought them in by this stage, but it's um yeah, I it's a messy again, it's a messy movie, but there's a lot in there in, in this movie that I really like. Okay, so okay, spoilers for the end. Uh, I mean I just the ending kind of makes it because you're left going, I'm sorry, what now? Like, <laughs> what just what did you say? <laughs> like no man can die if um if he is free. Uh no, the baby needs milk. <laughs> that, that, yes. He will die. <laughs> that is the ba- this baby is just left alone. Like what <laughs> She's just looking at the baby going, what the hell do I do with this? Um, it's kind of an amazing ending. I reckon the shoot, final shootouts is, I love how it's the sound design of the, how you hear the baby cry over that's him shooting. Brilliant. That's that's brilliant. But yeah. that in line of this old witch, who's the witch character, who's holding the baby going, I don't have any milk for this baby. I can't give milk. And Franco Nero just says the line, no man can die if he is truly free. Um, which in this context is just boneheaded. Like you're just looking at that, go, no, that baby will die. It's not. Maybe you can't just leave the baby there. <laughs> you yeah. can't leave the baby there, but yeah. he does. Yeah. Um, so this old woman's got to try and find food for this baby. Oh, it's it's a bonkers ass ending. <laughs> it, it took me a long time to, way longer than it should have, to figure out that that she was a ghost or she was a witch or whatever. But there's a few interpretations you can have of her. Um, I think she's just, I think that she's just an old woman at the end who happened to be there. Um, but the actual witch kind of pops up. Yeah, there's a few interpretations. She's she's there and she's not there at the same time. So, I mean, again, if I'm looking at this as some sort of a Christ story, I'm trying to, where, where does she fit in? I, I, I think I 
I get where the pregnant woman is, maybe a yes. Mary Magdalene you know, type, but you know, and the the betrayals and all of those pieces in there. But like, yeah, the 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 end is strange unless the baby is supposed to represent uh, humanity, and this is Jesus leaving yes. us to free will, not telling us how we should be, but we should, you know. But that's. I think that is the ending. I think that is what it yeah. is. I think that it's not just a biblical story. I think it is a Shakespearean. I think it is kind of a supernatural story. I mean, this is not the first, I mean, Westerns have been playing around with that for a long time. So it's not new in that respect. And I think just leave a baby is meant to represent the free will of, of man. Unfortunately, just the way it's set, you're just like, no, that baby needs milk. <laughs> it, yeah. Sorry, Yuma, that baby Bring is in. not gonna, <laughs> it's not gonna go well. <laughs> Bringing in some logic at the end and maybe, I, I keep running into this with my reviews sometimes I'm overthinking it or being too logical it's, about movies that shouldn't be, but this feels like it's aiming for something a little bit higher than this, like the, the typical Western plot and particularly oh. the time when Westerns were kind of dead in America and, you know, Italy was the place to, uh, to make them. I mean, they weren't dead necessarily, but they were, we were getting kind of into this, post hippie post 60s thing where we were looking our it wasn't um it wasn't the tr traditional western hero that we would be looking at and this uh this is very much of of the time here so but i, I just feel like it, they were aiming for more some things maybe made sense to um when they were you know they, when they were trying to even though i did read that a lot of this was improvised that they would get to the end of the shooting day and then they would start writing the script for the next day. And also Franco Nero said a lot of his lines. So yeah. I think the problem with the ending, because I'm okay with going along with a with no logic in, in a movie. Yeah. It's just the way that ending is shot with the with the woman looking confused, I think breaks the kind of ethereal nature we're meant to have for it. And we're just left with, wait, what? Um yeah. I, I I think it's hilarious. I kind of I don't but I don't think those final two seconds have they kind of brought, shatter the illusion of the movie a little bit. And I'm all on board for weird-ass, mulleted uh, Franco Nero playing a half-Indigenous character. I am yes. all for, because um, I've seen him in Into the Ninja, so I I had to buy him as a ninja, um, yes. <laughs> which that movie is insane. So but I'm all for kind of doing amazing. that. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I... But I think that final way and the final way it's shot, I think just breaks the illusion a little bit. And logic starts creeping into your brain no matter what, only because I think the way it's shot. I think if they had done it a little bit differently, you could have buy into that line of, you know, a man uh, a man who is truly free can never die, um, which is meant to buy into this metaphor of, um, you know, choosing your own destiny and everything like that. But at the same time, Something with the, how it's shot doesn't work, and you're just looking at this movie again. Wait, that doesn't make sense. So yeah, I, I I think if it wasn't for that that ending and that annoying music, I would have given <laughs> this a lot more points. It might have surprised people, but it's kind of in the middle of the pack as a result of that. But it's you can't accuse it of being uninteresting. No, it, it, you will not be bored during this movie, but. It, think, yeah, it, there were choices that were made. Let's just say that. But it is same with me. It's the middle of the pack. But I will say that I can't hate it too much because I think it is taking a massive swing. And I, I think I understand as far as your father saying, like, what was that? I think a yes. lot of people watching it 
we'll go what what was that and uh th that's okay with me i guess <laughs> that's okay i like as i said you're going to get a very hairy very mulleted frank Nero, so that can take you a long way yeah but you can't take your eyes off of him so no 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 uh, uh, thumbs up and uh, and i agree i think this is a a really interesting movie that i don't hear a lot of people talking about so no i'm surprised because i did when i sort of mentioned on social media that i was talking about it i had a few people going oh this is just my favorite western so i think it does have a cult following but i think it should be talked about more because it is a bonkers movie yeah and i'm glad i'm able to fit it into this show yes yeah definitely thank you for yeah it wouldn't have taken me a while to get to it because you know didn't have uh, lee van cleef in it Okay, so I, I do have to claim some ignorance about the history of uh, Italian politics. I obviously Me too. Love Italian food. I love Italian cinema. Um, I love uh, the Italian Americans and Italian Canadians who have come and and uh, just enhanced um, uh, North American culture. And I know when I lived in Australia, there were a lot oh, of Italian people. In we Australia. have a strong Italian community, and we, yeah, they make Australia better. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have always heard about corruption, but this is uh, this is a film that basically paints one of their longest-serving prime ministers. He was prime minister three times over. Uh, he's referred to as a demon, and essentially, he's he was representing a political party that was in line with the Catholic Church, but that. And the mafia, if you yes. this movie says, yeah, but he yes. paints it as a mafioso. That is yeah. purely yeah. it. Um, yeah, uh, the movie is about a Gio Gioa 
Adeniti, which I am butchering that. I do apologize. <laughs> yeah, like like Julio or Julio. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Julio uh, Adeniti. Yeah. And uh, directed by uh, Paolo Sor Sorrentino. And, yes. and I mean, it. it is interesting kind of how, how things go. And I don't know if it's fair to say this because Scorsese was so influenced by these great uh, Italian filmmakers, uh, Antonini and uh, obviously Fellini and, uh, and, and many of them, um, uh, Rossellini and here I feel like we have an Italian filmmaker that is copying Scorsese. Very much so. And this movie is moving fast. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a lot of style. Very get... fast and then very slow. It, it's weirdly paced. I yes. mean, I have seen one of this guy's movies before, which I was going through, and he also made a movie called Loro, which was about Berlusconi, another very famously corrupt politician um who also ran italy i think he's actually still in the senate something ugh, it's um yeah. part of the rules is that if you if you've been in that role you're you get a lifetime appointment in the senate as i understand yeah thanks caesar yeah thanks caesar yeah. uh yeah. that's pretty much it yeah that goes back to the roman uh and roman days of caesar and augustus just um deciding that they were going to be lifetime things and it's kind of that tyrantness, tyrancy just kind of carries through political um, Italian politics, which is a fascinating idea. It goes back to like before Jesus. That's insane. <laughs> or maybe a little bit after. Anyway, it goes back very, very a long, long time. <laughs> yes, long, long time ago. This was established and that they're still following this is interesting. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah, we, we're used to some pretty crazy situations with politicians around the world now in our time. Um, and so this is not, there's one time where I was like, whoa, that's really bizarre that that would happen. Now I'm like, okay, yeah, this sort of, sort of makes sense that this could happen. And, um, uh, again, very portrayed as a very, very, uh, dangerous man and has this mask, like the, the actor, uh, get the actor's name here. Oh, I did have it up. Tony, Tony. Cervillo. Cervillo. Cervillo, yes. Tony Cervillo. He's very good, yeah. He, he's very good. I mean, he's uh, such a cinematic face and everything is interesting, but it's it's a, so stoic. And the moments where it's not, the, that mask cracks for a little bit are so fascinating in this film. That, that's a terrific performance. But what, what I found tough with this is... I felt like in a movie, and I don't know if it's kind of just lost in translation for me, movie like Goodfellas, we start seeing people get killed left, right, center. I feel like we had spent some time with them, maybe not a lot of screen time. Um, we, we keep seeing this uh, as these various people die, their names, the age they were, and, 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 and how they died. But there's so many of them, I can't keep track of them. And so I was having trouble feeling anything about this throughout the movie um you know yes, I, I agree i think the problem is is because i think this is made for an italian audience this is if you know what happened you're going to recognize oh i know that guy i know how i remember that in the news i remember that i remember that i know where this is kind of leading and that is the problem and plus it keeps switching because this is a movie that's very much about the size of the catholic church but also to the um 
mafia, which I think a lot more speculation. I mean, this man was put on trial for murder. He got off. Um, and it's kind of in, insane when you look at sort of the history. Um, but he was there's all these kind of links that the movie's making between him and the Italian mafia or the different families within the Italian mafia. I got very confused because I'm like, oh, wait, that, oh, and that guy's now dead. So it's um, not a particularly easy movie to follow. I think the guy who plays Giulio Giulio is really good. Like, I think he is um, really, really strong when you see his his thing cry because he's just this one expression. He has no emotion. And then when he does have those moments, you do feel it. But it gets very confusing because you're going into how him becoming prime minister, then you're going outside to somewhere else with a guy you've just met like an hour into the movie. <laughs> and then he dies. So I will say the deaths are insane when you actually just, I mean, there was one guy who literally gets blown up. It's like, yes. yeah, there's, there's, um, the mafia are very creative with how they kill people. But yeah, I think if you know what's going on in this movie, then you know. I mean, one thing I know he is credited for is kind of tamping down on the violence that was happening between the fascists and the communists, especially in the 60s and early 70s. There was, a whole bunch going on um different political factions just like fighting each other in the street um terrorist bombings and train stations it could be very very it was very very chaotic so what you get the sense of this movie is that he kind of started bargaining with the mafia to try and calm this down but then now he has the mafia yes um and gave them way more power than they should have and because of that became part of the mafia um, that is what the movie is saying. I haven't actually read into his uh, presidency or actually know a lot about it. Um, but that is the sense that I got from the movie that him slowly just selling his soul to these other establish- establishments to try and calm down the country. So he looked good, but him selling his soul a little bit more and more to the point where he is now just one of them. He's not, there's no, there's no politician there's just a, a a guy who's in the mafia. Yeah, and, and, and does very well for himself. He, he gets away with everything, so you know, it worked out for him. And I mean, it's not an original theme, but power corrupts. Sure. No, exactly. Than, um, and you make these deals, and you have to kind of live with them. And I, I'm sure that there's some a flip side. Apparently, he he saw the film initially. He was furious, and they they said, especially uh, uh, Tony Servillo, uh, what said he was really happy to hear that because the guy was so stoic that the fact that he reacted so big must be mean that they made an effective film. Apparently yes. after after this, you know, he calmed down a little bit and he wished he had uh, had some sort of producing credit with the movie because he thought it was going to be a big hit and be successful. But I, I think one of the things, if if you're Italian and you're watching Oliver Stone's Nixon, and so these characters in Nixon come in and out and are very familiar to uh, Americans and those who know American history in the 1970s, just kind of around the same time that that the uh, events of this uh, film into the 90s in this film mm. happening, uh, you could get easily lost in that like three hour epic for sure and just recognize, wow, Anthony Hopkins is really good at playing Richard Nixon and that's what you get out of that. And uh, so... So it's maybe again. I started off by saying just my ignorance about the this chapter in Italian politics, and and this, but I'm not terribly surprised at the corruption pieces in here. Um, and so I think it's a very well made film. 
Uh, it had an Academy Award nomination for its makeup uh, um, design, um, which is good for, I mean, uh, it's tough for films outside of the United States and uh, in Great Britain to kind of sweep through and get into a tech category even. Yes. So enough people paid attention to this movie on the festival circuit, and I think it was a, a real success story in, in Italy, and I could see why people would be interested in it. I just felt a little bit removed from it. Uh, and uh, this is my type of a film. Like, I like these visual crime stories and and movies of this nature. So I was just kind of wondering on that day, and maybe it's a thing where with rewatches, I can kind of try to piece together where all of these people who are in and out of the movie and are um, dying or surviving are um, where they belong. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's not really the film's fault if I don't know, have that history. Um, not the film's fault. I think it does give you the broad strokes really well. I mean, I did feel a bit removed as well because I don't know enough about this period in Italian history to go, oh, I know exactly what's going on, say, if I watch Nixon, um, I know a little bit more than uh, the, the more of the, the strokes and kind of what was happening. So I could watch Nixon go, yeah, I kind of, I know I can follow this. I know what's going on. Um, but it is just that it kind of gave me this nice context to the period of Italian cinema that I tend to love. I mean, it's a little bit after he got into power in the late 70s and I tend to like the 60s, 50s, 60s a little bit and early 70s a little bit more. But it kind of puts a lot of say the um that it's a lot of um escapism in these movies also it is a lot of um there's an ugliness to those movies and if you're living in Italy at this time this makes sense because this was your day-to-day um it's like say why were the movies in the early 2000s so goddamn violent and ugly it's because America was in a very harsh war that got themselves into and movies tend to reflect the time so I think it was a nice little kind of thing of oh okay so this was going on in Italy at the time these are they say there's an amazing if you want to watch corruption in Italy movie there's um because story of a commissioner which actually has Marty Bosworth starring but again with Franco Nero um yeah. without the mullet and it's about a lawyer and a um the not commissioner it's a high he's a high-ranking cop commandant I think and them trying to solve this murder and then realizing that the mafia they thought they were fighting actually goes up the ranks, even into the church. Mm. And this is kind of what everyone was dealing with. Um, it's incredible Marty Bolson performance because he gets to be a lead and he's really, really good. Um, but it's very bleak and very dark. And it's talking about a system that just is all levels is completely, completely corrupt. And yeah, I think that kind of puts those movies into a little bit more of a context that I can understand. So I'm like, oh, okay, because this now I've watched a movie that is kind of talking about the history a little bit, even though it's probably not exactly true, like um, just like all movies. Um, it's yeah, just it put a little coda on it, I think, for me a little bit, even though I still don't. I want to I want to go read about this history more now after watching it because I don't understand it fully. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I, you know, I'd like to see more movies, but yeah, movies, of course, are always, the criticism is it's not historically accurate. Well, it, this is, it's an entertainment as well. So things are going to be really dramatic and it's going to have the style that, you know, just to, people are so visual and it's easy to lose audiences 
particularly this is our only 21st century movie but particularly now um so it, it it has to be exciting in this way even if not everything is maybe it, yeah as you said also, yeah and life doesn't fit a narrative so you have to kind of shift the narrative around that's just how movies are made um though i will say this i don't watch a lot of modern italian movies which i should change so i don't know a lot about um 21st and even 90s uh 90s and to now um italian filmmaking um yeah. so it was interesting to sort of see how it was filmed um kind of who was in and in it it was very it was a it was an unfamiliar taste for me which i'm like i should actually watch the postman which i think he also this guy also made or no the great you know he made the great beauty um which is another movie that has been on my radar for quite a bit i was bit. about to um, mention that one i i haven't yeah seen it, i've always wanted to so i mean this is this is the a-list director i think in in italy he in, is in, uh right now and you have to be to be able to take on um well these guys yeah, not just um, this guy, uh, Berlusconi. So it's yeah. Italy's known for its corrupt politics. Is really known for its corrupt politicians. But um, yeah, he's he's the guy who can do that. He is Italian's premier director, um, and I think he does a good job. I mean, it's not my favorite of the lot, but again, I just don't watch enough um, Paolo Sorrentino. I just don't watch enough modern Italian movies. So it was really good to kind of get a taste of what this what this is very similar to Laura actually I will say like in terms of though there's more like uh sex workers and and stolen goods in in Laura and partying than there is in this movie I I, I might say um this is one of two movies that are more polished than the other movies yes. that doesn't Absolutely. make it better though make it better mm. than but it's just uh I don't think anybody the, the the nitpicky problems with the spaghetti westerns or uh, <clears throat> even with 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 Bava's films would not be something that somebody watching this would. Uh, there may be people who would prefer this over the other movies that we're reviewing. A lot more people would probably prefer this over a lot of the movies, even the other two movies we're talking about, which are straight up masterpieces and have influenced everything after they came between them. This is what I should have showed my father. I should have said, sorry, Dad, it's going to be in an Italian, but I think you're going to enjoy this movie more because you can see Scorsese all over it. Yeah, you would have yeah, been happier yeah. than watching Kiyoma. I wanted to do, um, just before we move on to the next movie, mention two scenes, which to me kind of, they, they kind of settled the movie down a little bit and I thought they were very effective. There's the scene with the interviewer. It's oh, yeah. Fascinating. I mean, it's, you know, just watching that back and forth uh, and the subtext there it's, it's absolutely brilliantly acted and and uh and and, and very well directed mm. um obviously again like the editing and everything looks great and but I, I love that scene the other scene i really like that scene when he's watching tv with his wife and then that song starts playing from it's some sort of uh i don't know if it's a reality show or some mm. talent show uh that comes on and becomes a little bit of a centerpiece. Again, I, I felt a bit of Scorsese in there, but oh yeah, um, neither of those scenes. They seem to have this subtext and this intensity, but they don't have the violence that the other moments in the film do. And somehow they stayed with me more than the more violent uh, and graphic pieces. Well, in the film, so that's like how Scorsese makes his movies. I mean, yes, his movies can be very violent and very poppy and all over the place with music, but yet it's those quiet moments 
and a Scorsese movie that tend to stay with you or those little moments like every time I think of Goodfellas I think of Scorsese's mother showing them the painting okay that is a funny moment that is look look at that dog's looking that way the other dog's looking that way good painting but it's those quieter moments um say the end of the Irishman that always sticks with me is Robert De Niro in his room alone as the door's not even closed and it is this man who's made so many choices so they're all he's made so many choices that have led to him being just alone his kids don't talk to him um because they yeah he's just alone and that movie is devastating so he's this this guy is a student of Scorsese like everyone should be a student of Scorsese yes, I, I, I feel that. it's Marty mm-hmm. yeah. but it's um yeah it's he does those exact same things of those devastatingly quiet moments in the mixed mixture of the chaos that, that you just saw especially I love the interview scene more than that's my favorite scene in the movie yeah, I, I, the tension build. You're like, oh my god, something's he's gonna he's gonna break. No, he doesn't. But no, not at all. Kinda, not at all. But you yeah. feel that the performance is like it's very hard to act sometimes with the makeup and to still convey the fact that this guy wants to break, but yet he keeps his mask on and he says all the right things, but you can tell in his eyes he is not he is not happy. Yeah, <laughs> at all. Curious in that he's, scene. That, yeah, yeah. Glad, that's my favorite scene. I'm glad that's your favorite scene in the movie too. I, I love that. And I love when a visual filmmaker forces an audience to do that because they know that, okay, we'll be getting some more of the violence pretty soon here. So I'm willing to sit and in fact, I need a, a moment Thanks. to breathe here, but you see the, the violence in something that's not violent and that's that's tough to but capture on film. It's kind of weird because in the interview scene, violence feels very close. Like you're wondering, and it may not be like a mafia style violence when they're dropping a car on some explosives. <laughs> like I'm like, what? Okay, they're just getting bored with how they're killing people at this stage, um, or just or destroying the bodies at this stage. It's it was kind of wild, and to sort of show how violent it was, like I just watched uh, for an upcoming episode, Public Enemies, the Michael Mann which is all about the Chicago bank robbers and just the notion of how violent it would have been to live in Chicago in the 30s and 40s, uh, sorry, 20s and 30s, um, because you have people robbing banks constantly, but also you just have these firefights outside these banks. Um, how violent and chaotic it would have been to live in this place, especially when you're trying to deal with the Great Depression on top of that. And like this, it's it doesn't really convey how many people probably died who were just bystanders in these things because these i mean the mafia were very good at just like pinpointing people but at the same time it's oh so this guy just didn't come home like it's violence is all around you and i think the movie does a really good job of doing that even though i would have liked to sort of see the impact on the general kind of city of what it was like to actually live during these times and just go yeah people are dying all the time like it's insane. Like I feel this is a very thought-provoking movie and it's, it's well made. Yeah. And I, I was a bit surprised that it wasn't kind of and, and the rules around that are always strange. I don't know if it was submitted by Italy for the that foreign language. It would have been. Category. It would have to yeah, to get, it was, wasn't nominated strange to me. Yeah. It, to get nominated into the foreign, I don't know if the rules have changed, but I know now to get nominated to a Oscar the, a country, because even Australia's got a submission, but yeah. that would be just yeah, for general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we just, but that's just for a general kind of thing. So we've submitted our movie for this year. And so when the, say, Italian, um, that would have been their submission. But they watched it and went, okay, you're not going to get best foreign foreign language, but you are going to get in the best um, makeup. So that is kind of generally how it works. It's, um, yeah, because even Australia, yeah, Australia doesn't make foreign language movies, 
I could do it with an indigenous, but it's mm-hmm. very much, um, it's very much a, um, yeah. So I think that's probably what happened is that it may not have gotten for a, which is kind of ask, it's kind of asking the best foreign language at <laughs> the Academy Awards. Guy, real guy, makeup, transformation, really difficult person. Yeah, that, that yeah, it's kind of, um, it's almost made for an Academy Award. I- yeah, that, that was the mystery to me. It gets one nomination is for makeup, but it, it was a big release. I mean, I, I heard about it from the time it was getting its North American release. Oh, all, I didn't. All this throughout. is the first time I've come across it. Yeah, I knew the director. Oh, really? And as I said, I've seen Lauro, um, which he did in 2018 about Berlusconi. But yeah, I was like, what's El Diva? I'm like, oh, okay. And then I saw the director and what else he made. I'm like, okay, I know what this is. Yeah. yeah. No, I... I, I, I Remembered in, I had picked it up in some going out of business sale, but I hadn't really had a chance to, to watch it until now. But I, I remember when there were at our art house theaters, there were coming attractions for it. And it just felt like, uh, oh, this is going to be Italy's submission. Italy has been very successful, at least getting nominated, sometimes winning um, in that form. Actually, yeah, now, very good. It has a good Oscar run. Yeah, generally. Yeah international film is what they call it now category or something so um mm-hmm. i was uh yeah i was a little bit surprised at that but i i think it's again it's well worth people's time but again i feel like with most of the movies we're talking about this is in the middle of the pack but we're about to talk about two heavy hitters so um yeah, yeah. two of the greatest movies ever made If I actually had to rank the movies we're talking about, it, it's going to be tough between the next two films, and and they they are so different. Other than the fact that they're made by Italian legends in cinema, and they are are just insanely famous movies. I'd say La Strada is more famous than uh, we'll get to it in a few minutes with for a few dollars more because if for a few dollars oh. more. Feels like I, the forgotten middle child in the Men with No Name trilogy, but yes, I would say La Strada feels almost a little bit. It's not as famous as Eight and a Half or no. um, La Dolce. Like I think it kind of gets forgotten a little bit because those yes. two other movies are just like, well, here is Fellini. Um, and you're right. I think 
though I think a few dollars more is starting to get reappraised as like maybe we should actually consider this as best movie I'm like mm, that's definitely up there <laughs> yeah it's um yeah it, it, it's, it's definitely the best in the dollars trilogy or the man with no name trilogy i will definitely say that yeah i, I have to think about that for a minute but playing my hand <laughs> playing my hand a little bit like don't you? <laughs> like um, protecting like a few dollars more like as my child <laughs> that, that's okay um well strata is such an uh interesting interesting film and like fellini's films were often viewed as somewhat you know you really have to think about them and there's a lot of style and you know, it's Italian new wave, so it's not kind of following any sort of traditional plot structure. Here, I think there was a, a very clear plot. Like, I think this is an accessible Fellini film. Maybe it's uh, a fair starting point for somebody who's interested in getting into Fellini. Um, I would say that, yes. It's, this was my... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so it's essentially about um, this, this woman who's kind of her own her own person and you know uh and she doesn't fit the mold in her family and her sister has gone off with this uh performer who goes uh from town to town uh Zem zampano played by the great anthony quinn and after uh the sister has died goes back to this home and and takes jelosima uh, from her home and is very cruel to her yet there's some sort of strange and that's one of my I think my last note here ultimately whether it's weakness or not I keep questioning whether this is a love story or not because it is such a a strange dysfunctional power dynamic between uh the two leads in this film but it is is fascinating from start to finish and you know, Anthony Quinn is amazing. And I mean, he doesn't see his roles all throughout his career. He doesn't play small. Like he, you know, he's in the film. He's, 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 he's a big presence. But I think Ulietta Messina, who's the, mm. um, who, who, who plays this character, it's, it's a, it's like a, a clown performance and is the most compelling character is really the face of this film and steals the film completely, I might argue. Oh, from, it's her movie, yeah. Uh, it's her her movie, and she's great. She was married to to Fellini. I think there was issues with some people didn't want to give him money or didn't agree to have her in the film. It would have been a mistake. I can't imagine this film without her. And it doesn't work without without it. it yeah. Doesn't. I mean, and I just cannot take my eyes off of her. And it's all in the face, and that, and that is so tough to do um, as a film actor where it's almost at points it's not a silent performance but it feels like a silent performance like a buster Keaton performance and chaplain type of performance it, it is so good I, I i i i do love this movie um and but the things that i'm kind of nitpicky with are probably 21st century qualms of like how horrible anthony quinn is to this sweet woman who is will do anything, anything to to please him and loves to entertain and wants to connect with people that doesn't really know how, but has actually found through performance this way to connect. It's it's just a fascinating film. And when we get to the third act, I mean, I could almost uh -oh. talk about the third act. And that's the that's where Quinn's performance kind of goes into another gear. 
I mean, it's I didn't think he had this performance in him, to be honest. Like, I love Quinn. I didn't think he had this, and he was overdubbed. Like, it's not his voice, but I, I did not think Quinn had this in him. I no. did not think he had this performance in him. And watching it, um, no, I was floored. This is actually my first Fellini, which feels weird considering how much I love Italian movies. Like, I, I've seen all the other greats. Fellini, I've always sort of seen like Bergman. I'm was very intimidated because you have to think about his movies. They are very poetic all this style, all this kind of things you have to mesh with. And then I think Australia is the perfect entryway because this movie is amazing. Oh my God. Um, it is, I mean, Julieta, Julieta Messina is, she was called the female chaplain. Like yes, that is, she was known for that. And her expressions on her face say so much. She is, yeah, you're right. She's kind of kept being calling uh, mentally insane, very simple, very stupid, but yet she sees the world in a way that no one else does. And the movie is from her point of view. Like when she's watching the Catholic procession after she's just started living with Zimbato and she's just watching this amazing Catholic procession through the street and you see it through her eyes and it's so big, it's so beautiful, it's so glorious. Um... She is incredible. I need to watch everything she's in now. I need to watch Mulaney. Um It it blew me. This movie blew me away. Um, it is just, it, Fellini creates this, yeah, I get the 21st century of why she's still with him, but she it's kind of this amazing kind of context of what it's like being in an abusive relationship. When she does get the chance to go, she stays. She always stays. Like she thinks she can almost change him. She kind of sees the way Quinn kind of plays him is he's he's a brute. He's awful. Um, spoilers, he's a murderer. And he's the worst kind of human being. But there are points where you see these little touches of good in him that make you understand why she keeps trying to make this work. I mean, he essentially buys her. He like he already bought her sister. She dies. Um, she he comes back to the family and says, Okay, can I have another girl for my because he's a strong man and a just a traveling um entertainer and she goes with him but you can kind of understand why and she pushes back constantly she's constantly constantly threatening to leave she's constantly pushing back on him so it's never just a he is a brute and he treats her horribly mm -hmm. but the way Quinn plays it there's something underneath that like okay we just need to bring that well okay no he's he's the worst he's he will always just go to violence there's nothing else he can do and that's when you finally get the final scene with Quinn and he's broken he's a broken human being because he knows there is no salvation for yeah, him no. at all there's none and, he, and by the end of the movie he knows that and it's because he fucked up royally and he, he knows he knows that and it's because he left, left her behind when he shouldn't have um, because he, she was the only good thing about him and mm. I god I love this movie <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to cry thinking about it. <laughs> I, I just, I, I can't even talk about that sequence. I was starting to feel it. And, you I know, know you stop feeling all the things and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and it's only, you only realize the repercussions. Come back. Oh good, he left her. I'm glad she can kind of go off and she'll be fine. But I, she wasn't. No. And they, they needed it, each his other. fault. Yeah, they needed each other in this weird way that is toxic and destructive and it was only going to lead to that ending. But, oh man. But I, and I never, I mean, this movie. Why, I never question why she stays with him for sure. No. I just think some of the abuse she takes as, as, and rightly so, people will be wincing at that. And 
and they would be immediately they will be against Anthony Quinn through the whole film, and we spend a lot of time with him. But it's it's like one of those things where you're getting both sides, as you said to this guy. It's a it's a three dimensional character, so we're seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's a little bit of a, a tie in there to Leone. Um, wah, wah. Guy, Sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> with uh, with with this man, where we're going to we're going to hate him. Then we're gonna feel sorry for him. We're going to share feelings with him. But this was the the sweetest, most innocent person, and and just with what 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 he does here is heartbreaking. And I I will controversially say we just talked about a movie that has a lot of violence in it, in Il Devo. The the violence of Anthony Quinn and when we see his um, murder happen is much more powerful than any of the kills that I saw in Il Devo. I just. In El Devo, the murders are like pop music. They yes. kind of often will happen in montages. It's quick cuts. It's you're not you don't know the person most of the times. Okay, you do know some of them because they'll you get to know and then they'll die at some point in the movie. But they'll often have this thing dies when they're this age. This this this. It's not. It's very quick. It's very fleeting. Life means very little in El Devo. In um, La Strada, life means a lot so when the fool is murdered yes um the camera stays on him like you watch him die it's not and the fool did not i mean most of these people who die in il divo are very really innocent they're usually all things to to begin with so it's kind of the movie setting up going oh yeah everyone's corrupt there is no good this is our political system you need to get used to it in um la strada it is the fool is annoying, but he's also charming and he's a human being. And you like the fool. Yes. You like his relationship he has with um with her. You like um you like all you like her. Like you like him. And you kind of want Zapato to have a redemption of some sort. Like the yeah. movie's kind of really just presenting these characters to you in a way that you do feel for every single person in this movie, even Anthony Quinn, who I've already said is the worst, but you feel for him. Like the moment when he's yelling at her after he's killed him and she's just not giving him, I think he wants her forgiveness. I think he really wants her to say it's okay. And she's refusing to. Yeah. Like she's not, she's just saying you need to do the fire. You know, the fool told me to stay with you. Like I could have left. Like, She's already, she's kind of just like, oh my God, what if I, why did I stay? And he wants her to say it's okay and she will not. And he just screams at her, I have to make a living. Like, you cannot keep doing this to me. Um, and then you realize that how much power she also has in the relationship that she's probably not aware of or that you have not been aware of up to this point. And that's when he makes the decision to leave. And it's, but no, you, you watch the full die and it's hard breaking because it is you see it's an accident he never intended to kill him he intended to rough him up but i don't think zambato for all his blustering is a killer and he but he does make himself one by pushing it that too far and yeah it's um it's a punch in the gut but it's a beautiful punch in the gut like i will watch this movie in a heartbeat again because i'm not it's not like some sad movies be like well that ruined my day um it didn't it it made it better because i got to watch yeah me saying i've discovered fellini makes good movies okay yeah I... <laughs> he's he a great does. Guy. He, does. he knows what he's doing he knows what 
strings to pull. He knows how to create these amazing fantasy worlds of when you're living in circuses. And I'm like, yeah, I could run away to Italian circus. This does not seem too bad. Well, and I, I have more of them here that uh, I'd love to talk to you about in the. Oh, yeah, no, I, I need. Yeah. I need to watch more Fellini. That is an absolute must. Yeah, no, I, and, and I, the other thing I want to say is, I mean, when the fool goads Zapano, you understand. He does, yeah. Understand why he's his pride is hurt. He's embarrassed in front of a whole bunch of people, and and just goes too far. But this is what the fool is supposed to do. Does this with everybody? Um, it's just it's such a hothead, you know. It's a yeah. This is not a premeditated murder at all, but this no. is, but it's it just, he's, he's been humiliated and he has to do something about it. And it just, it just goes in this, this direction. I, I really do love this film. I, well, it's, it would really be a, a coin toss. Unfortunately, with the points, you're going to see that I'm, I'm cheating a little bit with our last two films here, but um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think probably if if I had to choose between the two, this would be my favorite of our group uh, in this show. But it's not it's not a home run for me. Some some shows I'm doing that like clearly there's one movie that is the best one. That this is very close, and it's just just because I uh, what I feel at the end. I see a whole bunch of, of amazing amazing stuff in for a few dollars more, but my heart isn't broken at the end of it my heart is no. broken at the end of la strada and so just a emotional piece I, and I wasn't expecting it to because from what i know about fellini he's all quirk which in this movie there are so much quirks i mean you just have to look at julietta's uh performance and it's all quirks i mean she's pretty much doing charlie chaplin and but i think her chaplain's better than chaplin because chaplin doesn't make me cry but even the kid but um but Julieta does because she's she's kind of yeah she is the she's simple but she's the most pure out of everyone and I think uh I don't know whether she loses it because you never see it but I think she does I think that the murder of the fool beautifully played by Richard um Basehart which I think again his career in America you just would never have thought he again had that performance in him yeah. um he was also a beautiful soul who just but he just riles everyone up because he knows where to prick everyone um and it's a dumb decision that she stays with him but at the same time it's the choice that she made yeah. it's you know her performance is is incredible who just her wide eyes just looking at everything and when she's sad she's very sad and when she's angry she's very angry when she's happy she's just the happiest person in the world like there's no but that kind of makes her pure in a way because there's nothing shadow there's no shadows on her and um no there's a scrappiness about this movie it um i know this is the one was the first movie to win best foreign language um, or international movie in at the academy awards and this was it um anthony quinn apparently had met um julietta somewhere in italy and she recommended him to fellini because they were married at the time when they made this and he was pestering him was like you need to be in this movie and he was like what's this freaking italian man of course, he goes to um, Edward Bergman and her husband, uh, Rossellini's, <laughs> just like the other power couple of, of, of the European cinema, um, his house, watches a movie, and he goes, oh, that annoying guy has, who's been pestering me is actual genius. Okay, I need to go and be in his movie. Yeah. And he got one of the best roles he's ever done. So it's... Yeah. 
Absolutely one of the best yeah. of his. I mean, he he got some good roles kind of late in his career through Spike Lee and, and some other yes. films like that. But um, yeah, this is another example of an American actor in Italy uh, getting a, a career defining role as. We'll be talking about that very soon again. But yeah, yes. Right away, um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Actually, two. <laughs> you could probably. Uh... Oh, two. Yes. One, make, yeah, one. Go, yeah, we'll get to. Um that but it is uh it is just so I don't know how to talk about La Strada without just going oh my god god it's amazing yeah. but it is just the sense of place the texture the performances the script everything works about it and there's this this beautiful yeah you it breaks your heart but in a way that it feels good if that makes yes. sense very yeah. few movies can pull that off yes. some movies will just break your heart but this one makes does it in a good way yeah some of them are a requiem for a dream. You feel awful for a week out. And you never, and you just never want to see that movie again. Like I never want to see that movie again. I don't want to see Jennifer Coley go through that again. But I will see watch, um, Julieta, uh, 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 go through this again because it's beautiful. It's. I feel other movies keep trying to do what this movie did, and this was pretty relatively soon in Fellini's career. I know he'd made a handful of movies before this, but. This was the movie that made the whole world stand up and go, oh, okay, this guy's got something. And again, that's the story with a lot of these classic movies. Nobody believed in this. They thought yeah. it was going to be a, a disaster. Oh. And it Leone dealt with that his whole entire career as well. So it's every single movie was going to be a disaster. Like Quinn apparently was going to do it, uh, take like a, a share of the profits and waive his fee for it. His manager went in, Change that. That's stupid. And <laughs> he would have he would have made this money off this movie. Yeah, he would have made off this movie. He lost millions. He lost millions. millions. Three fired yeah. his manager after that. But, you know, um, but yeah, I and I I don't know why this scene keeps coming back to me. But there's a scene in the middle of the film where they go to this this bar, and um, and she's right there with him having a good time drinking, and then this other woman comes in um i believe pro she's a prostitute and yeah he goes off and and just leaves her behind i mean it's just that's the kind of abuse we're talking about and then yes it's a way for him for hours i mean it's yeah it's uh, the scene when i think it's very soon after that and she's upset and she falls into a hole with a whole bunch of hay and he is kind of mocking her but is gently mocking her it's yeah. and it kind of is this weird thing of that's the abuse that she's dealing with but also you can kind of see this other side of him creeping in of like, oh, maybe he's not that as bad. No, no, he is this bad. He, like, is, he is bad, but... He keeps, he keeps tricking you into, oh, maybe he's not... No, no, he's going to take the fool with a knife and then get kicked out of the circus. Like, he's always... There's a pattern with him and it really shows the dynamic. Because, yeah, I mean, the thing in the bar is amazing because he's going to get her extra food. She's having fun drinking. They're actually having a good time. And then that sex worker comes along and he just loses interest in goes off and then abandons her and it's heartbreaking because you're like oh you, know, you didn't deserve that you deserve to get your lamb spaghetti like that sounds good i would eat, yeah go and eat your pasta <laughs> so oh my god the food looks so good in this movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's there yeah the food in fellini films <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the fashion and everything like as you yeah more of them i think you're uh yeah yeah it's it's kind of exciting and there there are some Fellini films that I haven't been able to see yet and I I look forward to seeing I I, I don't own that essential Fellini collection but I've, no, I've thought about it 
the thought about it. It's just so expensive these these things that uh, that we get. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just to be able to to have this great work from this great filmmaker and survive all these years later. So I, I would highly recommend, you know, and I, I don't think the subtitles will be a huge issue for people once they get into it. I think this is a very accessible movie that a lot of people would love if they gave it a chance. And so yeah. you know, if you're like me and just feeling a little bit um, intimidated by Fellini, watch La Strada. Yeah, like so don't start with eight and a half. Yeah, just that, that I mean that movie is very accessible. You're in the world instantly. You get everything. Yeah. Um, the pasta looks amazing and it's like feels like it's um like a very simple black and white. But you're looking at that pasta going, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> well, just the guy what they're eating. And I'm like, I want I know I'm concentrating on that pasta. I want to eat that pasta. He's he's operating on so many of our uh, our, oh. our our senses and our emotions and uh I'm relatively this is a compact movie some of his other movies are quite a bit longer but this is uh not not like hour, long. hour 40 like barely two yeah. hours or something yeah 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 it's uh yeah Estrada is amazing and uh um people should see it if they haven't a big reward offered under you gentlemen that I thought I might just tag along on your next robbery. Might just turn you into the law. Naturally. I'll be in the tavern. The air around here stinks anyway. Just like the food. But the month will go fast. I'm letting you leave here. And so you can tell everybody you've seen what takes place here. <laughs> Didn't hear what the bet was. Your life. So if I'm having an Italian cinema podcast, I, I can't not have a Sergio Leone film in here. 
I, I almost reviewed the good, the bad, and the ugly in an episode. I it was one where I lost about half of my reviews. So it will be reviewed again in the future. Um, and I have on a, a Westerns episode, of course, uh, Fistful of Dollars. Uh, mm. so that will be reviewed some someday in, in the future. And it it I, I guess the the flaw for me for me with for a few dollars more is that I watched it years ago and I watched the other two and somehow it's, I forget what happens in this movie. The thing I, I pay it, remember and, and pay the most attention to is the fact that, oh, Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef uh, are in this film and then they're in the good, the bad and the ugly, yet Lee Van Cleef is playing a completely different character right? and and I, I i did see there's a bit of a theory on like the the ideas people think it's you know uh in the man this is the middle chapter this is the second it was the second film released in the man with no name but chronologically potentially it was the last film of the three yes. the good the bad yes. and the ugly happens during the civil war and this it is years after the civil war has has happened. I was entertained from beginning to end uh, with this one, even though for whatever reason, just the, the the plot doesn't stick with me. But I think that goes along with the theme of what we're talking about. This does have a plot, and it you know there are some things that are important, but it's not the main thing in a Sergio Leone spaghetti western. But the I guess the like the main idea is these two bounty hunters um, who didn't really know each other. I think up until this point when they discovered each other's existence and they're both going after this uh very very bad person and then, oh he is the yeah and they're working against each other and they're you know doing the male thing of oh who's the fastest gun or you could suggest some sort of other innuendo in there as far as like well they're trying to show off their masculinity um but ultimately not a surprise really, but to defeat defeat this gang of really horrible people, they are gonna have to team up, whether they want to or not. And like they have Lee Van Cleef is supposed to be this much older guy. He refers to Clint Eastwood's character as kid, even though <laughs> apparently they're five years apart in their actual age. Um but I refuse to believe Clint Eastwood was ever young. <laughs> he just kind of always seems it seems like he started middle-aged and he's just kind of gone that way, but, um, but that, that dynamic works in this, this type of a Western. Uh, I, I had forgotten so much of it, but I, the other thing I had remembered, which for a while we're, we're trying to kind of figure out there's something personal that's happening here for Lee Van Cleef. Um, and then we have a, a really disturbing flashback scene. Uh, I'm glad my dvd worked the first time I, I after i purchased it that scene got a little bit muddled for me because there was some sort of a scratch so it was oh, uh, okay and then it was like moving forward as dvds tend to do um so i got to see the beginning to the end and it's just a really disturbing rape scene uh in the middle and they talk about like at this time uh leone didn't know that he couldn't do this in the film that this was breaking the yep. censorship rules. So that made this, it doesn't feel that edgy today, but this was a very edgy film. And so that's the scene that stayed with me from the first viewing. Um, and then this time just the, 
the the build up to the climax and again this business of trying to pawn the gang and infiltrate them and and how the two work together towards the end it is if you love westerns if you love cinema you're going to enjoy for a few dollars more and <clears throat> i'm glad that some more people are talking about it again i look forward to hearing uh the schlock and awe version of this review uh, i i forget what you pair pair it with in that episode uh midnight run we did a bounty hunter oh, nice. yes. yes yeah that's yes that's perfect that's absolutely mm -hmm. you know you uh, yeah it, it, again for those who didn't hear our previous episode and haven't checked out your show uh it's pairing two movies together and uh the way you pair movies is brilliant just when i was you'll you'll you post on oh. social media i'm always liking them because i'm like <laughs> i wouldn't have thought of that yet that's absolutely perfect but that's that's a great pairing with this film so i you've already said that this is your your favorite of the man with no name trilogy yes i i kind of think it's perhaps my second favorite but I think we're in agreement about the one that we're all supposed to think is the best in the trilogy, maybe the weakest one. Um, yes, yeah. I would agree with that. I, I get a lot out of it, but it's perhaps a bit overrated. When I reviewed A Fistful of Dollars on another podcast, and it was it was a Western show, it also had The Wild Bunch. I walked into that episode thinking... I'm going to have the wild bunch as number one and it's going to be number two. It ended up going up to number one for me. And I love the wild bunch. So that's how much it's gotten better and better over the years. Uh, Fistful of dollars. So that's probably my favorite a bit more over for a few dollars more, but that doesn't take away. They're all, all three are to me well worth people's time and our, our Western classics and spaghetti Western classics. So I, I won't say a lot negative about for a few dollars more. So I, I'm 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 happy to hear all the things that you love about this film. Uh, for a few dollars more is a perfect movie. Like it's um, my favorite of the Dollars trilogy. Um, it was meant to be a direct sequel to A Fistful of Dollars, but Leone changed producers and he couldn't. So this is why Clint Eastwood has a different name with each movie. I think he's working with different producers, so it's not. Um, so I'm okay with it being all over the place and um, Lee Van Cleef playing two different characters in, in yeah. the trilogy. Um, I don't, yeah, it's, I don't know if Good, the Bad and the Ugly on this watch is completely overrated, but I think it's more of a weird transitional movie that he's going to go into with Daku Saka and especially once it was time in the West. You see him moving and I think that's why it's a little messy and Tuco is a whole thing. Um, but this movie doesn't have a Tuco. Um, no. I'm, no. I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, no, that... Jewish New York actor should not be playing a Mexican character. Oh, wait till you get to Rod Steiger should not be playing a Mexican character. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have watched that movie too. I enjoy oh, it. I enjoy it. It's, it's problematic. <laughs> and even James Coburn's Irish accent. I'm like, oh, it's white. Okay, whatever. Um, still a great movie though. Um, but for a few dollars more is just what I want out of a movie it yes. is because what I love about for a fistful of dollars I love how scrappy it is I love how Clint Eastwood hasn't even found his footing as an actor yet like uh Leonie famously said Clint Eastwood has two facial expressions with the hat without the hat <laughs> and I think um so I think he's getting better at that I think Lee Van Cleef got the chance to lead a movie and made a meal out of it and I think he's fantastic I love 
um, I mean, Gian Maria Volante um, was in was the bad guy in the Fistful of Dollars. Yes. Him in this, he is the worst. But again, it's a little like uh, Anthony Quinn. He's this worst. The, there's nothing redeeming about him, but he's you got the feeling that he's looking for redemption a little bit. Like he's got this thing stuck in his memory of this awful thing he did. And he knows it's awful. And you've got the feeling that he's searching for some sort of redemption. Yes. Or there's some there's something about in his brain that he can't shake the fact that he assaulted this woman and the fact that she killed herself mm-hmm. um, because of it. And he, you know, because it was right in the middle of it. So he, he's aware that it's all him. Yeah. Um, but there's this scene uh, where you realize that Leone's getting his footing, that he's really starting to realize how to play with everything. And it's when... Um, Gian, who is playing um, El Nindo, El Nindo, is um, murdering this family, and he's already killed the guy's wife and child. And he's making him do a standoff, like they're gonna do the point and shoot mm-hmm. um, thing. And then the music just goes into this beautiful um, this Mirakoni score. Actually, weirdly, I think this is the only movie that has a Mirakoni score in it, huh? No, yeah, that's weird. That's the group, considering how many movies he scored for. That's a kind of an achievement. But the Smurf Kearney score comes up, and it's the clock thing, which he brings back in actually a couple of his movies. You can hear it. Such a good thing. And it then it just goes to this operatic, kind of almost like Phantom of the Opera organ, which is his, which is Gian's uh, El Nino score, is this organ. And there's something about that scene. Like I can, the the, the plot, mainly because I did a podcast on it, I think the plot is kind of stuck in there. So I know um, even there was a few couple months ago, I still remember this movie. And I think that's why, because it's not going away. Um, yeah. But that moment when Gian's about to shoot the guy after he's killed his family is pure cinema. I don't know how else to describe it. It is, okay, Leo, Leone is, is in full gear. He is making a masterpiece. He's all the things are coming together. Um, Gian's performance is amazing in this. I love him as El Nino because I think he's just just got that villain. I mean, he was a really good actor to begin with. Um, and in this, it's just all working together. And then the movie kind of carries on. But that was kind of the moment when I watched and oh, okay, this is this is kind of when Leone's becoming Leone, isn't that scene? And it's 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 perfect. I, I, this movie's this movie's fun. It's just it's great. It's it's reviewed all more. It's an amazing movie. And and what I appreciate about it is after this, Leone really painted with a broad brush. This isn't a three D yes. four hour. No, this is an out. This is ninety minutes. This is in and out. Works like the first two in the Man with No Name trilogy are compact films. I mean, and, and maybe, yeah. and I, I don't mind The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly being three hours long, and I, I don't, it's a big story, and he he tells it well. There are, there there is one film, so the, the episode I, where I referred to, uh, uh, it, it was an Ennio Morricone uh, tribute episode that I, I did, which was supposed to be six reviews and ended up being three reviews, um, and, and so, of course, uh, had to get the bad and the ugly. But Once Upon a Time in America, which people love that movie. Uh... It's a prickly movie. I will. I understand that. It is wild. Yeah. It depends what cut you see to begin with, which makes Leone hard because um, after, for a few dollars more, there are so many different cuts of his of his movies. Yes. Um, and so it depends what cut you see. I've seen the 
whole shebang. It's got even the rough parts where you poor have what's her name? She was Nurse Ratchet in um, uh, Cuckoo's Richard? Nest. Yes, she pops in for some weird reason. It is um, it is a really I I really love Once Upon a Time in America, but I don't think it's a movie. I think it's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's something else. All the borders have been broken away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um I love how ugly Robert De Niro is in Once Upon a Time in America. I think again, it's about a man who's looking for redemption who's never gonna get it because he knows what he's done. Yeah. And that is mainly to Elizabeth McGovern. Like she deserved none of that. No. I think it's Elizabeth McGovern. Um, but no, I think it's a I don't know what the it is, but I don't think it's a movie. Something about it, the edges being blurred away. And it's not structured. It's just this five-hour dream experience um, that I think you can see him starting to get to in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I think it starts there, and then it goes through until Tommy makes um, Once Upon a Time in America. I love the score in Once Upon a Time in America. I think the score well, is amazing. Beautiful in it. No. Yeah. Um, all of this film. But I get why people would watch that movie and go, no. But I think. Leone had something in his brain that he couldn't quite convey on screen with that movie. Yeah. Um, well, and it was the end yeah. of this trilogy of, like, again, living in Italy, not speaking English, but yeah. he's trying to convey the key moments of the creation of America with, you know... Uh, yeah, and also, he, but he loves America. I mean, that he wanted to make a Western. No one wanted... Because he started the Spaghetti Western trend. That's one thing that surprised me. I thought there was probably a couple of quiet movies. He makes for a few do- uh, Fistful of Dollars, and then the whole thing kicks off. He was the guy who did it. Fistful, uh, Fistful was the first Spaghetti Western. Yeah. Um, and it's because he had this weird obsession with American films. He loved John Ford. He loved Peckinpah. Um, he, loved, he loved David Lean's British, but he loved these kind of more Hollywood-esque kind of movies and wanted to make one and that was the western and he read this book I think even before he made Duck You Sucker he got it really early on that was a book that Once Upon a Time America was based on and he wanted to make that movie now he was not the first person to make that movie because Francis Ford Coppola would make The Godfather mm-hmm. and that's kind of the statement on the Italian-American experience um but he does end up making and it it was brutally cut down from like over nearly four hours to like under two for the yeah. original American cut. I've which, heard that's a bad cut. I haven't seen that. That, that would make, once upon a time in America barely makes sense to begin with. Yeah. That would make no sense. I don't understand how you cut that movie down. Cause I know uh, Ducky Sucker got cut down. Even once the good, the bad and the ugly got cut down. Like it was, and that was um, once upon a time in the West, Ducky Sucker. And Once Upon a Time America are all the same trilogy. I think it's the Once Upon a Time trilogy. Yes. But I, if someone says they don't like for a few dollars more, I'll look at them sideways. If they say they don't like uh, Once Upon a Time in America, I absolutely understand why. Because that is a difficult movie to embrace. For a few dollars more, I, like, I wouldn't understand it either. I mean... Uh, like, what? You know, like, for a few dollars more, my, how? My, my uncle loves Westerns. <laughs> What's wrong with you? My, my uncle loves westerns. I could show him this anytime. This could be great. If I show him to yeah. Kiyoma, he's going to... 
I like I I thought it was a good idea to to take him to see the Hateful Eight and <laughs> turn him off of cinema for years. So I mean, you know, yes. I thought oh he loves westerns and he wanted to see The Revenant and that was sold out. So we went to the Hateful Eight. I thought well he he loves westerns, so why not? No, this is the type of western that that he loves. You know, with Clint Eastwood uh, being you know the the white hat and coming in and and getting revenge and on, on bad people here, you know, I, but this is, to me, this is more complex than the, even some of, you know, Eastwood found a way, and especially when he became a director of finding more complexity in stories that we had seen, Western stories that we had seen over and over again, but this is way more complex than the guy comes into a town and cleans up the town and then leaves. Eastwood made those movies later on. That's not what he did. Um, no, it begins that way like that is what the movie sets out to make you think it's two guys coming in cleaning up a town they're gonna go or catching this bad guy and then they're gonna go but when you find out more and it's all in van cleef's performance like it is so and he's that he's got the freaking he's got eyes made for a leone movie um you find out that he actually has much more personal stakes because el indo killed his sister Yes. Um, he he raped and killed his sister. And yes, I know she kills herself, but she wouldn't have done it if he had not done what he had done. So it's it's his fault. And he's it. So it turns in. It's a sneaky revenge movie. It's uh, yes, I did pair it with the Night Run, which is just I love that movie. It's just again a movie that if you said you don't like the Night Run, I'd look at you sideways, going how? That's um, a fun movie. That's a fun one. Yeah. Love Charles Gordon. <laughs> just staring at people. Um, it's amazing um but it's kind of the sneak that doesn't do that's very kind of this is what it is and you watch it and you enjoy it Joey pants is screaming at everyone on the phone it's 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 amazing this movie kind of sets you up that you're going to be in one kind of movie and by the end you're in another kind of movie and i think clint eastwood gets a bit more acting chops in this um because he's always said his two touchstones for directing are sergio leone and don siegel and if you're going to have two teachers you can't get better than sergio leone or don siegel um and how you direct direct a movie and he kind of learns how to act a bit more and what we were sort of talking about in my the episode i did was how clint eastwood was able to sort of step aside and give the spotlight to lee van cleef because often even when you're watching it you'll notice clint's talking but the camera's on van cleef always it really follows clint around the room but it's always following van cleef so i think um i'm not sure if he was aware when they were making it or that's how leone was going to shape the movie but i love the fact um and leone famously really got the actors he wanted especially at the beginning of his career he did eventually get the actors he wanted especially in once upon a time in the west mm-hmm. um and that was or maybe he got the actors he wanted for i haven't read into once upon a time in america yet but i'm pretty sure De Niro would have been his first choice um but he really got the he wanted charles bronson he wanted um henry fonda he wanted um, a whole list of men to play. Um, Jack Palance oh, was in Menken in Fistful of Dollars. But they were just like, I don't know who this guy is. No one's making westerns. We're not doing it. Then he wanted Bronson again to play the Lee Van Cleef role. Again, no. But he gets this guy who was a kind of a studio player actor. He was a working actor. He's done a lot of TV. He gets him in and it turned out to be the perfect part for that role he was he was making. It was luck. Same with Eastwood. 
Eastwood was a failed actor, came over to Italy, ended up being one of the greatest westerns of all time. And Dalton, yeah. the rest is history. Yeah, and the rest is history. So I kind of like how his B choice of actors often turned out to be the perfect, um, like the perfect actor he could get for that role. Yeah. And that's Lee Von Cleef for Colonel Morton. He is he is perfect for that role. I, I don't know how else to describe it. He's a badass as soon as you meet him with the pipe and the Bible. It's just like, oh yeah, you don't miss it. It's like this is this stuff here. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the pipe and the gun and the whole look and it's just such a I said with the grand duel, you know, his face was made for cinema. And uh and he wears the costume in every single other he pretty much wears the costume he wears in this movie. It's his costume in the every other movie he makes afterward. Like they knew it looked good on him and they just did it. And he often plays different very he doesn't play variation on Angel Eyes as once the good, the bad, and the ugly. He doesn't want to do it. But he only says, No, I need you to play a bad guy. I need you to do something different. It's like, oh, okay, I'll be a bad guy. Great bad guy. Like fantastic he was highlight, highlight yeah. of get the bad and the ugly. I mean, you can't. I wish there was more of him in there. Yeah, because he's just a badass guy. It's just yeah, yeah. I'll kill your whole family. Yeah, we're gonna do that. But every single, I mean, if you watch the Grand Duel, it's just them trying to recapture this role he did in Good and Pascal the Dollars. It's, it's um, not, it oh, sorry, yeah. As well, but he is the reason to see that film. Um, yes, and there's just even even though it is, you know somebody who Sergio Leone mentored, it just doesn't feel the same. You, you, you have the look, you have the sets, you have all that, but it just doesn't have the same impact um, that when Sergio Leone does it and and just putting these guys together. I wanted to mention one thing about Clint Eastwood that, you know, this struck me when you're talking about, he, he learns to, to share the screen. Yes. In this film. And yet, like he's so, he Again, such an interesting face and interesting character and presence for many years, I think, to the point where people didn't take him seriously as an actor. Um, but he, he was kind of a movie star. And I think yes. he's gotten better as an actor as the years went on. But that, for decades afterwards, he would use that philosophy. There's kind of a famous story about the Bridges of Madison County. There's a scene with him in Meryl Streep, and he keeps the camera on Streep instead of what most directors would do would have the shot of him as the leading man having this emotional for your consideration moment. And he said, no, that, that doesn't make sense. We don't need that kind of extra melodrama for an already kind of, I, I like the movie, it's, but it's fairly melodramatic, romantic, very melodramatic yes. romance, but he gave the moment over to street to, to the other actor. And I, I just feel that's, that's a little bit of his magic is that he's now, you know, and well into his 90s and he's worked with everybody. But as an actor, he's not afraid to give over and share the screen with somebody else and is very unselfish in that in that regard. And I think it's the training he got from these um, spaghetti westerns, which he then brought into later on into the Hollywood movies. And I think, you know, has impacted his directorial philosophy as well. So um, absolutely. Um I mean, Clint Eastwood would never be accused of being an humble man, and he's not. He's got an ego, but he knows to make himself look great, he needs the other person to look better, like, um, or look just as good. And, he, yeah, he learned that probably very quickly on. And then he probably read the script and realized, I don't know, he probably read it and realized, oh, I'm not, I'm more of the sidekick in this movie, but I'm still going to look cool in it 
because I've got the poncho, I've got the hat, I've got the cigarette, the cigarette, whatever he smoked, smokes in those movies. Um, yeah, he's a non-smoker, so he found that, I, I read about in the earlier uh, films, that, like he had trouble with that all throughout filming those movies because he wasn't, you know, and he had to constantly have it in his mouth and all, you know, so. A lot in his mouth, like it's it's insane how much he has it in his mouth. But he learned how to, yeah, he learned how to share the screen. And I think um, a lot with American movies, just the way, because they were so structured around, uh, they are now structured around characters and superheroes, but they were structured around movie stars is that you wanted that moment. And the thing with European films is they never always quite gave you that moment. They gave it to other people who you didn't expect. Like in La Strada does the exact same thing. Yes. Like you think it's going to be about one person, but it's really you're focusing on, someone else in the scenes you're getting this different point of view and the fact that this movie it is emotionally about captain morton about the lee van cleef character it is um it's his revenge story it's him the one that's manipulating oh i forgot what his name is in this movie um uh clint's character he's blondie and and um good the bad and the ugly but he he's kind of constantly manipulating clint eastwood to get him to where he wants to be where he needs so he can get to um, El Nino and that is really cool so the camera's just staying on him when you would think it would be on more Eastwood because uh, Fistful of Dollars did really well in Europe like it just kind of went oh hello what's this um, and this movie did really well in, in, in Europe and so you would think the smart thing to do would be like well I'm going to focus on Eastwood and the film barely does it's it's kind of amazing and the fact that Clint Eastwood took that kind of direction to heart of how you make the movie better and then he got i mean when you look at good the bad and the ugly it's him and tuco it's a two-hander yes they're often in the same frame when they're talking they're they're um yeah they're really not in the same frame together or they're not kind of very close in cuts because that's what the movie is about i mean with angel eyes doing his own thing on the other side and i love i wish there was more of him in in that movie but it's a two-hander between those two in fact the movie could be called tuco's movie Yes, it could anything be. Else. It's about him. It's mainly about him. Um, but which is annoying because I'm like, you need to, I like the stillness in my in my Leonis. You are not still. He's not um, still at all. No. <laughs> not still at all. But yeah, he gets, yeah, it's just, it's an amazing two-hander. It's perfect cinema. Every choice he makes is the right one. The framing's starting to come into play where you can see Leone really find his eye. Because um, I think this was his third movie, by the way, which is insane. And it's for a few dollars more. Um, I love the fact that people are starting to see this as the best in the trilogy because I think it is. I think it gives you this epic feeling without being overblown. Um, tighter. It's a tighter film. It's it's a tighter film. No, it doesn't feel yeah. like homework or some big commitment. To exactly. See, you know, it's it's yeah. very manageable. Um, again, back to, it was Monco. Monco was I think the Eastwood name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, keeps changing his name. It just says yeah. just the poncho and the hat. Just the man with no, no name. I'll just call him just the man with no name. Man That's why. No he just, yeah. He just keeps changing his identity. So it's, yeah. But for me, this is the perfect movie. It does everything it just needs to do. There's no, there's, it's not a scrappy movie. It is just probably how Leone saw it in his head. I think that's what happened. And yeah, I think it's, it's just, yeah, as I keep saying, it's a perfect movie because it's a perfect movie. Yep. Okay, and so I'll, I'll challenge you on that, and then I'm going to bring up a scene that kind of took me out a little bit, I guess. How dare you? remember <laughs> gushing about a movie. It, what would you say is a flaw in it? Because there's no such thing as a perfect movie. So 
is is there something that no i can't think of a flaw i um all the scenes i'm remembering i mean I, it's been a couple of months since i've seen it so that's probably why so i'm just remembering all the things i like about it but i can't think of something i don't like in it i i guess i have some nitpicky ones and that's always like i would but i i guess that some stuff like clint eastwood punches somebody and they go flying through the air but that's oh that's amazing <laughs> Nothing compared to the fight. It's, it's like when they shoot someone and they just go spin spin. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, that's nothing compared to like the the fight choreography, which is so over the top in the Grand Duel, for example. But the the scene with the old timer who looked eerily like Robin Williams. Do you, you remember that scene? It's started by Vaguely. the yeah. I think I might have been confusing it with something over with a fistful knot for a few dollars more because I think it's the same actor. It's like an guy who's building a coffin. It's an exposition yeah. dump, and yeah. I just found it, it, it was so cartoonish, so obvious with what it was doing, uh, and it just it briefly took out, it, very briefly, but it took me out of the movie uh, for a few minutes. It's kind of like the first moments in A Fistful of Dollars when you start to like this unnatural cackling that some of the characters have and stuff. But again, you you have to if you're going to go along with this subgenre you're going to have to kind of get used to to those things but i just wanted to mention that again I, I haven't encountered a perfect movie yet but this is a very strong one and i just think that some of the um, um complexity and emotional beats of Lestrada just gives it a little bit of an edge but it's you know apples and oranges and both apples and oranges are both fantastic fruit and so that's that's what we're getting and again with these these six movies it's barely scratching the surface of the great history of Italian cinema, but uh, it just gives us a nice nice variety of movies as we go into the point segment here. But was there anything else you wanted to say about uh, for a few dollars more before we move into that uh, that phase? No, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, some of the, I guess some of the dubbing things is a little bit questionable, but again, that's never bothered me. No. Um, I, I I like that element, but no, this is like Jurassic Park, five stars. No, no, it's just it's like I don't think there's anything wrong. With, yeah, so I think, it, but I think in compared to La Strada, I think it's because I've lived with this movie longer. I only saw La Strada like last week, so it's yeah. Um, so instantly, you know the uh, yeah, as classic as it is, it does. It's not. It doesn't have the place in your heart that. Uh, and it will. I mean, I can already, I mean, yeah, La Strada is also a five-star movie. I would give both these movies five stars because I think um, they are perfect at what they are doing. And I kind of like the fact that La Strada is kind of scrappy, but that um, for a few dollars more is a little bit more polished in what it's doing. Like it's kind of rising up a little bit. And the fact that I can see where he was with a fistful and then he was with for a few dollars. And I'm like, oh, that's a jump. That is a huge uh -huh. jump. So I think it's just um, movies I've had more time with. And not saying, yeah, but I still think Lestrade's kind of a, I still think both the movies are masterpieces, but Capital M, I think they are proper. And I call a lot of things masterpieces. Um, I have been known to call <laughs> some dubious movies a masterpiece. But um, Dude, where's my car? That masterpiece. <laughs> that master, it's, hey, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Come on. Um, I, you know, like I think I've called Wayne's World a masterpiece before, which I kind of stand behind. But these are actual proper, they influenced movies going forward. Yes. Um, I mean, I was, because we were talking about how action movies kind of 
took from the Western that we now have our big action movies from. And it's kind of true. And for a few dollars more, fits into a very specific structure that we now have for filmmaking. Well, the strata, I think, is a little bit different because I think the strata is like Igman Bergman in that way. Yes, I think it has influence and you can kind of see it, but I think people saw them as a little bit more untouchable than, say, Leone, if yes. that makes sense. Like, they could see what Leone was doing and kind of copy it and mold it and evolve it, whereas when you look at Fellini and they, everyone gets a little bit, oh, shit, great director, can't do that a little bit. Um, yeah. Same with um, Bergman. Igmar Bergman, because I think everyone saw him as a little untouchable until a little movie called uh, 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 Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, where they just said, no, we're doing Sip and Seal. <laughs> That's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the only other person who has borrowed heavily from Fellini and Bergman uh, is, uh, you know, is Woody Allen. Think what you Yeah, he know. absolutely has. Yeah, all throughout yeah. the and a little bit of Kurosawa and, and like those those filmmakers, but particularly oh, well, lots of Bergman and lots of Fellini. Stole off, just stole off. Um, I mean, he got sued by Kurosawa yeah. for, for a fistful of dollars. They went, hey, I recognize that. because It's a very fine movie, but it's my movie and uh, we need to settle out of court. And Leone's reaction was, holy shit, the Kur Kurosawa saw my movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about that. I'll, yeah, sure, love- I'll, I'll pay the money for this just for the, the fact that you saw my movie. So, yeah. Yeah, so you saw my movie. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you definitely. But I think the more popular way of movies I definitely go with more the Leone than with the Fellini. But, yes, Woody Allen wouldn't be make the movies he does if it wasn't for Fellini and Igmar Bergman. They are, it is too touch. Yeah, they've always been his two touchstones. It's time to uh, do some fun. Oh, crap. Lindsay Wilkins, thank you so much for being on the Shelf Shedding Movie Show again. And I, I definitely owe you when, when, when we have a chance. I'd love to come back on Schlock and Awe. Oh, no. You- I, I know the double I want you to do. So I just need to, next couple months, just, yeah, uh, yeah, you, yeah. you'll get a message saying, this is what we're doing. <laughs> okay. And then I'll, I'll be ready when the time comes because I, yeah. the time you've given me for, for my show. And I, as I said, I started off saying you're, you're, you're the, the, the busiest, podcaster around my own fault (laughs) make sure you have a show out once a week and the way the summer has gone for me it's probably been two months since i've last had an episode out so uh i i am hoping to get more shows produced in this next year Mm -hmm. because it's been a little while since i last recorded an episode so i appreciate it and helping out with some technical issues early on that we were having here so and well, I'll, I'll, I'll we'll shout out the uh, podcast at the end here. Mm-hmm. We'll go through uh, the business at hand uh, with the points here. So 
start yes. off with uh, in the order we reviewed them in the grand duel. So how many points did you give that? I gave it six points. I still like it. It's probably my least, which I can't believe I'm saying this, but a Bentley Van Cleef movie, but it was my least favorite. It's, it's worth checking out, but yeah, I, I, I get so, so, Yeah, none of these movies I would say don't watch. This is not it like a Jack Lincoln episode. It was awful. No, no. <laughs> I mean, um, there's one awful movie, but yeah, yeah. This is going to make me sad. <laughs> um, Black Sabbath. Uh, Black Sabbath, I gave 10. And Kioma. I gave eight. And Il Divo. Eight as well. And La Strada. Uh, I gave uh, La Strada, where are you? Uh, 12. And for a few dollars more. 15. Now that should add up to 60. <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm always a bit nervous about that. I'm like, ah. I'm trusting this system I created. <laughs> not easy. So, um, but yeah, I think we'll go with whatever it is here. So just going going through the, the grand duel, we're, we're not far off. I, I actually gave five points. Yeah, I enjoyed it while I was watching it and Van Cleef, but it just kind of forgettable. Uh, and kind of blends in with some other movies he's done because I'm I'm not yes. even convinced that maybe I saw one of his other movies and thought it was. Look, I watched I watched about six of his movies in very close proximity. Um, it's all a bit of a blur, but I do know this is the movie that had a little bit more stylish. But I think there are other better movies of his. Yes, and I, I and look and look. There's a movie we talked about on here with him that I gave all the points to, so I don't feel too bad. But. Yeah. <laughs> he's still well represented it's, for sure it's yeah it's still a um he's a he's a fantastic character actor um i think this is definitely worth a watch um but yeah just like just i mean there was another movie i watched that i thought i had never seen and in fact i looked on letterbox and found that i had and kind of liked it <laughs> more than i did on that, that particular watch so it's um it's just a thing with spaghetti westerns they all I bleed in with one another i think it's a little bit of a problem if we can't you know we watch it or maybe we've watched it multiple times and we just don't remember it so. wasn't um, that movie it was actually dave anger i was like i haven't seen oh no i have i in fact have seen dave anger oh i did not remember that at all completely <laughs> gone kind of similar yeah um yeah, very similar to this movie by the way except for the Stylistic flourishes, yeah. Dave Anger, yeah. So Black Sabbath, I like two of the three stories. I didn't necessarily love the bookends, but you have to have them in there. Uh, I gave it eight points, so that might mm -hmm. seem a little bit unkind to middle of the pack, but I, I would never dissuade people from seeing it. Uh, Kiyoma, I gave seven points to. Interesting, but the ending really damages the good work that it did and that, i think the ending is more bonkers but yeah i didn't give it much higher so that woman oh that just was the grating song and it's it's just saying exactly what's happened i guess maybe if somebody wasn't paying attention but i don't think you'll you won't be listening to that you'll be wanting like stop get to the next scene fast forward or something here so you know which is not as easy to do with a blu-ray as it was with the v with the vhs no no it's not because you never can get quite to the point you want you're always over going like oh man oh, i don't want to be back or i skip the chapter or something so yeah il, il devo again i gave it 10 points i gave it more points and kind of in the middle here i feel like I, a revisit is warranted and and learning a little bit more about this time in italian yes. history mm. and I'll, I'll i'll i feel like i'll enjoy it more the, the more i experience it but Lestrada, yes. I gave 15 points to, and for a few dollars more, I also gave 15 points. So I kind of, I wasn't ranking them. I just 
again, I... I rank them. I was going to get 15 points, but then I thought there's going to be no points for the other ones because I'm definitely not taking it off for a few dollars more. Yeah. But I, I agree I, with you. Yeah. Those last two, half the points went to those last two films and I think deservedly so. Um, where that leaves things is for a few dollars more has the most points, 30 points there. Um, La Strada, 27. And then there's a tie for third between Black Sabbath and El Devo with 18 points. Uh-huh. Uh, Kioma has 15 points and the Grand Duel is the lowest with... Yeah! <laughs> I knew it was going to happen, but I'm not happy. <laughs> here's here's one other thing that's going to make it less happy for you, but you still have to uh, you still have to do this. Uh, the Grand Duel is on a, a disc with Kioma, so because of this, I do have to get rid of both movies with this. No, disc. you do, just you don't have to. No, just put it behind something. You don't actually have to get rid of it. Just put it behind something so you can't see it, so you think I, you've got rid of it. Off my so shelf. At that moment, when you want to watch Kioma, because you know that you're going to rewatch re that movie, it's going to go, and you know what, I'm goddamn for that weird movie. It'll still be there. You don't have to actually get rid of anything. <laughs> okay, so that's what you want me to do is hide it someplace yes. in my home. So I haven't gotten rid of it, but it's it's off the shelf. It's not on the shelf. So it's not on the shelf. Integrity Just is still maintained. Some, yes. Okay. Because I, I have that, that same I have that same set, and you can't be getting rid of. Um, yeah, I. I don't think any of these movies are bad enough to sell or get rid of. I, yeah. I generally think I'd be upset. This is why I'm terrible at this game. <laughs> I, I had been hoping that they were separate discs. And then yeah. kind of like the Jack Lemmon collection I had, where uh, yeah. uh, How to Murder Your Wife was its own disc. So I didn't have to lose a bunch of other ones in there. But anyway, uh, I had fun talking about these. I had so uh, much movies. fun. And yeah. uh, you know, you'll always be welcome back. And uh, I just appreciate your expertise, your knowledge. I, I again, I love uh, following everything you're doing on social media. People need to check out Schlock and Awe. Are there any other podcasts you'd like to uh, to shout out uh, just while we have a, a moment? At the end, i like to mention a few. Oh, um, yeah. Follow, well, if you want to listen to my uh, silliness, then yeah, definitely follow Schlock and Awe. Uh, we're on all the pods. Um, but also, um, the Super Network, which is a really great one in also Melbourne, uh, where I live, uh, with uh, Be Mine and Super, the Super Marcy, because she is. Uh, they have a whole bunch of shows, too long to list, but definitely look up the Super Network. Um, and, of course, you can also listen to people who I talk with a lot. Matt Bledsoe from Film Feast. Yes. Um, uh, Daniel uh, Epler from Cobwebs, who's doing an amazing John Carpenter series at the moment. Yeah, I think I'm probably blanking on some other people I should be mentioning um, as well. But Game yeah, Club, just... Uh, uh, I haven't listened to that one yet. What's the other name? Chainsaws and... Chainsaw and Claws, which are, yes, Rob uh, Antipera and uh, Patrick Vicious have been doing amazing, amazing work as they just look like a married old couple through... Um, through the movies they're making, which is delightful, I will yeah. say. Um, also, um, yeah, uh, Dirks, um, BHUS, uh, and uh, also the New World podcast, which goes to all the you know, podcasts that were made by Roger Corman and the guys who bought it, the New World um, studio. It's a really, Ryan knows everything about the New World, that those particular studio. It's 
kind of terrifying. Um, and also Dirk's uh, Marshall's VHUS, which is just a whole bunch of things at the moment, talking to people who, whose job is similar to the movie that they're talking about or just um, movies he wants to talk about. He has such an eclectic taste in movies. He's, it's it, very, very amazing. Um, and I'll also just point out Michelle Egan's and Brian Kuyper's uh, Movies for Life, which is also another double feature podcast where they just talk about movies they like and things they want to talk about. And it's really chill and it's really awesome. And they've been guests on your show. I think I've listened to a yes. episode. Yes. They're awesome. So uh, you mentioned uh, Film Feast, of course. Matt's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, mm-hmm. I also want to shout out my friend Larry's uh, show, Rank and Review, where I wouldn't be able to keep 15 points for both. I'd have to choose one mo- movie as the number one. Uh, or the uh, So I'll I'll be on He'll I'm sure he's been on a recent episode talking about Ray Liotta. And I'm sure he'll be on again, and I'll be guesting on his show uh, fairly soon, doing a rather epic show ranking the top 30 horror movies of the 20 teens. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. My short list is about a hundred, so it's, yeah, it's tough. The 21st through. century has done some kind of amazing. Oh, I just want to mention my Larry, uh, Larry Sternshine. Um, I probably butchered that name. Sorry, Larry. You know, I can't say his name. Real early podcast. Uh, he's doing some yes. good work over there. We're just like talking to people. He's, he's, yeah, so I, I, he's probably listening. So I will, um, Larry, I did not forget you. Okay, I kind of did, but then I remembered. So yeah, you got it. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, also, uh, Lifetime of Hallmark. I want to mention a Lifetime of Hallmark, uh, my friend Kurt. Yes. Kurt, yeah. So um, he, uh, yeah, has three professional actors who dissect in shot by shot detail Hallmark and li- Lifetime shows and, uh, uh, I think they're doing God's work there. <laughs> they are doing God's work. Yeah, I, would get, I, I was a guest on one show. It's Sybil Shepherd and Steve Gutenberg and this true yeah. crime thing. And yeah, it, it was tough. It was tough to get through. So, and that was just one episode I did. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then just my general uh, uh, sign off here to folks, just continue to be safe, you know, stay healthy and be kind to one another and be understanding and support the movies. It's a weird time, particularly following, you know, the writer's strike and the actor strike and looking at AI and what they could do to cinema and su- support the folks who, the human being folks who make the movies. Uh, I, I don't think an AI could have come up with the stuff that we've been talking about. And Oh, come on, no way. No, <laughs> With the style and like there aren't perfect movies with flaws and all i would rather have that as the cinema of the future than mm. having something that was a bunch of faces of actors who never said anything acting out something that a computer came up with that yeah. can produce for no money and make all the profits that would be really unfortunate but uh, th- that's why I'm, I'm collecting the movies that i'm collecting and uh, yes places filled with it because if that ever happened i i can go back to movies from 70 years ago or even 10 15 years ago as among the six movies that we talked about here so Mm. but uh until then uh thank you so much and uh we'll talk to you next time